I get up at 4.45 in the morning and I don't see a sign of the government anywhere. Every single day for eight and a half hours, I exchange my time for labor. I don't see the government anywhere, except for on Thursdays. Thursdays, I get my paycheck. That's when the government shows up. That's when they feel they are entitled to split half of the currency I made for trading my time, my skills, my labor. This goes on throughout the year where I'm responsible to keep records of all of this. At the end of the year, it's my responsibility to prepare all that documentation for them to review it. They then determine if their cut was large enough. If I don't meet their schedule, I face fines, fees, or the threat of being locked up in one of their cells. I guess some people call this taxation, but it doesn't meet my definition. To me, that sounds a lot more like fraud, embezzlement, and fucking slavery. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. I apologize, small oversight. I completely forgot there was a cuss word in that video and I wouldn't have opened with it otherwise because I, I, I can't warn away people because I know this is a family-friendly show, but I thought that was an important clip, but I do apologize for the abrupt curse word there to start the show. It's an important thing to think about. When you hear the way that that's laid out, it doesn't, you don't catch on, I think, for a minute to realize he's just talking about basic taxation, what we all go through and pretend it's a normal part of life. No, taxation is theft at the barrel of a gun. That's always what it's ever been. And interestingly enough, even in this country, there was a time where this didn't exist. But what's interesting is today we don't talk about that. We don't realize how much and how, and, and as we all seem to be aware of, the, the, growing, rapidly increasing corruption, or rather I would frame it as our awareness of what has always been there, overwhelming corruption, but I guess the point relies on it being an increasing amount of corruption, we see that being pushed back on us. The cost increasing, the needs of the government, their wars and what they need to fund, their illicit activities, and more and more your money goes to them. It's, it's alarming to realize how much of your money actually goes just hands over to the government for no reason. And the way he explains it, I actually completely agree with. The idea that the game that's played where you essentially, they know damn well what they expect from you, yet you're expected to do the work yourself, show the work, and then let them and then say, here's what I think I owe you. And then if you get it wrong, they tax you for it. If you get it right, you know, it's, it's a weird game that's played. And it's all about control. I think we need to start addressing this. And I, the reason I wanted to start with that is just because I, I have this very interesting feeling. And I mean, I, I, it's my opinion that I think that people are becoming much more willing to engage in topics that they wouldn't have otherwise been discussing. And that's, this isn't just about foreign policy. I've been seeing this for a while now, really kind of post COVID-19 illusion. I really think that shook people free of something, but it's given me a little bit of hope in some dark times to realize that there are people that are starting to just kind of look around and go, well, wh what else are we being lied to about as they're flailing and their hair's on fire and they're trying to tell you that everything's okay. And it's the bad guy over there and nobody else is. And it's real. And, it's only the people in control, the narrative managers that seem to be desperately pointing at only one narrative while the rest of us, and I mean this in a general sense, are kind of just like, well, I don't know about that anymore. 
that's terrifying to them. And it makes me very happy to see. So it's a positive note to start. But I wanted to get into a bunch today that I think is important. Of course, we're going to continue to follow up on what's the ongoing genocide of Palestine, which is just one of the most horrific things I've ever had to cover in my life, with a few hard things to talk about today. But more evolving evidence around how clearly this is exactly what your governments are telling you that it's not. And seemingly, interestingly enough, every human rights group and every international body from top to bottom is at the very least calling for a ceasefire. We're going to get into how the U.S. government appears to be playing this very delicate or clumsy, however you want to look at it, game of basically telling Israel what it needs to hear to maintain the alliance, but secretly over here trying to at least push forward the concept of a ceasefire. But it's to me, it shows and using the word pause anywhere else in the conversation, it seems to show you just the feckless nature of the U.S. government is how it's always been, it seems, to only care about their interests, and I mean their interests, not your interests as the American people. As we see both sides of it, as I'll get into Sam Husseini making clear, that there's secret discussions about them funding, even helping our documents, rather, the actual ethnic cleansing helping Israel push these people into the Sinai desert, which was seemingly the beginning plan, while acting like they care about ceasefire in other conversations, but then only talking about a pause when it comes to anywhere Israel's involved. It's this dynamic of pure dishonesty, obviously, as we're watching them continue to murder civilians with complete impunity while they act like they're doing everything they can to avoid that. And yet again, we'll debunk that absurd, painfully obvious lie in everything we talk about today. But we're also going to talk about a couple of interesting things to start that I just want to make sure we're not missing, as I've been saying for the last so many shows, some interesting points that are blatant and obvious that I want to make sure have been concluded, not that they're still being discussed and that you see that, but another interesting conversation about what's going on in the divide of Gaza South North and how the entire thing is a deception and what's ultimately happening as they're bombing both sides of this, acting like one side is being kept safe. As we can see the hospitals, including the Al-Shifa hospital that is in the north of Gaza, that does still have tens, hundreds of thousands of people sheltering, according to them, and they're now bombing indiscriminate. Well, they have been the entire time. But see, the narratives shift. And even their narrative now makes it clear that they're bombing where a hospital is, even though they were bombing that hospital and the rooftop of it right before this. It's amazing how much is being lied about. We're going to go through one of the most important parts of today's show, how many lies, I shouldn't say it like that, I'm not going to go over every lie, but it's amazing to see how many lies are being spread. And it seems predominantly from my experience and what I'm looking at from Israeli, the Israeli government. Now that's going to be taken as bias for some people. Maybe it is. You can decide for yourself. I think it's very clear as I try my best to be objective that there's a waterfall of, in, I mean, it's just like the Ukraine-Russia conversation. Now that's not going to win anybody over who already thinks I'm biased in this conversation because they're going to just tell you you're biased for Russia, which it just doesn't make sense to me. There's no interest that I see aligned between as much as they'll try to paint that between Hamas and Russia, but ultimately they want to make it about taking the side. When in reality, that's what's happening in their conversation, the side of Israel and the state of the Jewish nation and Zionism and the U.S. government and their agenda. And that's the side they've tag teamed into. I care about civilian life. I care about anybody who is being oppressed. And I think it's very obvious what side is not the good bad guy scenario, but what side is the one being created, driven into reality, armed, funded by the worst of the worst in Ukraine, I'm still talking about. And we can openly make it acknowledge our neo-Nazis and fascists that tie right back to the actual Nazi. But no, we only point at one side. Same thing we can talk about here, Israel and Palestine and recognize the basic realities of an illegal occupation 
the history around it, and the lies that have been spun, the origins of Zionism, which lied to Jews and Judaism as a whole to make this happen, and then have occupied and raped and murdered and robbed and steal for 75 years. Now, that doesn't whitewash away any of the crimes committed by Palestinians, but it sure as hell flavors them a little differently when you understand that the people who have been inside a prison in Gaza for 70, or not just 75 years, but the occupation is 75 years, but the people who have been oppressed for that long have a legal right to armed rebellion. And I've made, I mean, I, I think I didn't say that in the last one or two shows, but I've made a point to say that in every single show because it absolutely makes a difference because that means, as I've said before, the act of Hamas, whether you support them or not, was legally protected until crimes were committed, just like in any other field of war. And anybody who understands the United Nations stance on this or any human international body, but the Geneva Conventions and the actual international law and rules of war makes that legal. And they won't deny that. Of course, they'll just talk about some other nuance and it doesn't, the law ultimately matters. And I think we know that. So before we get into a starting point of actually a couple of points about medical freedom, I wanted to make an interesting point here. And I'll, I'll sh uh, shout out to uh, chief nerd for this clip. I just thought it was very interesting. I don't see any government anywhere except on Thursdays where they give me my paycheck. Otherwise, they take most of what I earn. On the note of manipulation and misinformation and control, I, I thought th this is actually kind of terrifying is where this seems to be going. I recently got a letter from my accountant that was talking about something very similar. Dangerous individuals and organizations and, and how serious, at least they felt it was, sending a letter to everybody that is working with them, outlining how they recommend we talk to a lawyer, not because they think we're in danger or think we might be breaking the law, but because they see that this law itself is so surreptitious, at least that's how I felt this was being purveyed or, or put forward, that even somebody who has nothing to hide, nothing to, who's not guilty of anything, it still behooves you to talk to a lawyer to make sure you present it the right way. What that really shows you is that the government, which I believe has always been the case, as you know, it's that same old thing we talk about that anybody in any moment right now could be charged with a felony should they want to, because there's so many arbitrary laws in the books that go back hundreds of years that we don't even talk about. The point is that anybody right now at any moment could be put together because of the way that the system works to frame you as some, not even frame you, to argue that you're committing a felony in one way or another. My point is that this kind of stuff, I think, is designed to put you in an insecure position to where they could just build the framework, which is what I'm going to show you next about well, you said X, Y, and Z about this entity, and here is somebody donating from this location that I have no control over. And suddenly, you make a network argument that this person is involved with dangerous individuals and organizations, and this is something that they're building right now. It's just another arm of the censorship control network that argues that anybody who has an opinion that they don't agree with, they can conflate and organize it to make it look like you're just being driven for you're a Russian shill or a Russian bot. And those definitely exist from every country. But to them, for them to just default make that argument, sort of like saying, oh, you think Palestine should be free? Then you're a Hamas-supporting terrorist Nazi. Except that's not the truth, is it? It's very much more complicated. I'll make a point about that today. I'm not going to say that there's not people that might exist like that who do support Palestine, because I would be dumb to say that's not possible. Sort of like they're dumb for saying it's the only thing happening. But we can honestly, honestly and obviously point out that there's a lot of people who believe just Palestine should have a right to self-determination. <gasps> What a Nazi, right? I mean, it's just frustrating. Now, this is what I think is a step being taken in social media world to stop people from or scare us away from it. Now, I saw that, not that I care about Facebook. For those in the podcast, we're looking at a Facebook thing I got sent. I barely even engage with it. Quite frankly, I don't even think you guys even know I have it because it's been censored so many times. It's some small pirate Facebook channel that I barely use, but I do post there every time. 
I got this thing that said on the 24th, dangerous, basically they removed some of my content. Two posts I didn't notice. One on the third, one on the 24th. Dangerous individuals and organizations was their policy, which I didn't even know they had. So I click into it and okay, apparently I have, I have these two different accounts. I didn't even know that, by the way. I guess they're pirate channels. One of them is at risk, they say. One has some issues. And you can look at either one, really. And I go through it. Okay, and it says actions we've taken. Apparently, they removed this content. Dangerous individuals and organizations. What does that even mean? Well, all it really means is they've decided from Facebook. Uh, and this is an interesting one, by the way. I'm not even sure what this was. I'll show you what I mean by that. Nudity or sexual activity? <laughs> okay, the message this is March 2nd. I guarantee they just removed some arbitrary or some post of, under this argument because at that moment, they didn't have any momentum to do it. He's like, we'll just pretend he was showing nudity and get rid of his post about Palestine or whatever it was at the moment, COVID-19, which is what they do. The point is, they're removing your content under some arbitrary argument that what you're doing is promoting, speaking in, in I can, I'll just read actually what they said, but it's completely superficial and subjective to whatever they want to do. Now, first of all, I wanted to see what this nudity thing was about. And I looked into it and it says, no one else can now see your post. They have standards. Be, they, we have these standards because we want everyone to feel safe and respected and welcome. Sure you do. Your content goes against our community standards again. <laughs> I love that. It just cracks me up. Your account may be restricted or disabled. Okay, you can disagree. Okay, so I, we'll get to it, right? I hit continue. Goes to this. Okay, how to make decisions. We make these kind of more of it. Community standards, technology. This is important. Our technology found that your content goes against, yep, artificial intelligence, algorithms, or whatever you want to frame it as. Most likely not people just picking up on buzzwords and things like that. Our view team and technology team and new languages make sure, okay, whatever. Okay, show me what I did wrong, right? Takes me to the next one. <laughs> we don't allow people to show. Do I need four different message segments to say the same? Apparently, we don't allow nudity. We don't allow this. Showing genitals or buttocks. You, none of which ever happens on my show. You guys know this. Or implying sexual activity. Nope, none of that happens. Not even remotely. Showing female. Okay, you get it, right? Next one. Finally going to show me? No. This is where it takes you. After five windows, your post goes against community standards. Well, I heard that on the first, second, third, and fourth one. Okay, say it again. So no one else can see it. You already said that. No, continue. So my point in showing you all this is just to show you that they know what they're doing. It's arbitrary. They're lying and just saying, get rid of that post and just blatantly giving you some endless rabbit hole of nonsense into some port where you can't even, I can't say I can, I can test it, which is what they pretend you were going to do through that process. But again, Facebook is a dying platform, in my opinion. But the point is, this is what they're all doing. We, we don't need Twitter files to show us that. I just think that's hilariously stupid. But the ones that they actually took down, guess what they were? Just shows what we did. 62% of the 9,000 plus civilians killed in Gaza are women and children. That was per the United Nations. The point is what they're claiming is this goes against our community standards on dangerous individuals and organizations. It says it looks like you shared symbols, praise or support of people and organizations that they defined as dangerous or followed them which I don't follow anybody on Facebook or do anything other than post my pictures, but check that out. So think about how alarming this is. So there's apparently no room in this conversation from their perspective for me to even show a symbol that I, what if I'm going, this is a bad guy. That guy's a terrible person. Am I not allowed to show their symbol then? Apparently not, but they support of people. Obviously we know this is about Palestine. So you're telling me I can't support Palestine. That's not Hamas. Even Israel pretends it's fighting for the innocent people of Palestine, but apparently we can't even support Palestine in the streets because that makes you a terrorist. This logic is obviously flawed. They know this, and this is why they've lost control. 
I mean, think about that. If Israel's pretending, please help us get these civilians out of the way. Meanwhile, all of their politicians are saying, let's kill them all. And they're openly bombing everywhere that they are. Even the UN has made this clear, but they want to. The U.S. government says they're doing everything they can to minimize casualties as they then bomb places where they know that they still are. But then you go out and you say, well, I'm going to protest for Palestine with this flag because Israel says it wants to save the Palestinians, right? You wave the flag and they are terrorists. That doesn't make sense. It, what it, do, it does make sense because it shows you that none of them care about the Palestinian people at all. And even they know that and they know they're supposed to lie about that. That's very telling to me. So you know where this is going. And it's the same point on the other one. The, the, I, the, when they lied about the chemical weapons thing that clearly never flushed out, they stopped talking about it, right? It's very embarrassing. But of course, Facebook does what it's supposed to, and it censors things. Now, two more points before we start on the main topic today that I think are important. So, multiple people have shared this with me today. I felt like I would comment on it. Not a big fan of Glenn Black. He's very sensationalist and very partisan. I mean, you just take a look at his work on Great Reset. It's very partisan, Republican-minded, and it's embarrassing, in my opinion, how much that omits important parts of the story, and I know they know that. My point here is, he says, according to the FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr, the Biden administration is planning to hand the administrative state effective control of all internet services. Team Biden, which is just this game, what are we, what is it? Twilight, Team Biden, claims this for digital equity. But if all of this is true, it could be the end of free speech online. Well, come on, guys. See, this is the partisan game. Are we pretending that we don't get censored constantly? There is no free speech. on. We have allowances that they know it's a juice worth a squeeze kind of thing. Like Twitter, for example. They gave me an account back, sure, and I'm able to do this. But we all know that they are censoring people still. So just because it's a little better than before, in some cases or some areas, they're still censoring. So right there, that's not free speech. So let's stop pretending like the end of free speech. Come on. That doesn't exist if we're allowing censorship. Now, I'm not saying that it means that there is zero cases where you're able to speak freely. But my point is with censorship in any circumstance, that means free speech does not exist online because they're able to censor you should they want to when they want to. My point here is this is already what's happening. This is, in my opinion, this is the government acknowledging a step that they took 10, 20, however long ago you think this shift happened, where the U.S. government, the intelligence apparatus, effectively, if not from the very beginning, mind you, has had control over the connectivity and the access to the Internet. That's my opinion. I think it's very clear. Now, this step is not independent to the Biden administration, but of course, that's the paradigm of it all. They only want you to think it's the bad and we vote Trump in and it'll all go away. No, they censored people just like everybody else. And you can see even the Twitter files showed that, by the way. The point is that this becomes a narrative about, oh, and here's the best part about this for, you, for me. And this is what I mean with the partisan game. And we have to pull out of this illusory, childish naivety that is the two-party paradigm. That The point for me is that he, in the middle of this, right where I, I was listening to it a moment ago, he talks about, well, the, what's happening essentially is that they're holding back. So they can justify the new step. And okay, I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, I get, I'm with you on that. That's the great, the great reset concept where they're, you know, they want to downplay or even effectively destroy so that they can then rationalize problem, reaction, solution, the next step, right? But guess what he comes on to say after that? That they're, they're needlessly holding back all the excellent 5G technology because they want to justify. So his argument in the paradigm game is that, well, the 5G is the right step, that we should allow 5G to all these companies and then it'd be internet for everybody. And it'd be great. And that's ultimately what he's saying. I mean, I'm making it a little more ridiculous than, it, than, he's, than he says it, but listen to it. 
How in the world are we going to pretend that 5G is in any sense the next step? I highly recommend you listen to Derek Rose's documentary called The 5G Trojan Horse or any number of talks we've had about how wildly dangerous and untested all of this is. And, you know, maybe he doesn't know that. But then you should consider why that would be the case, too. But my point is that this is a not a binary conversation. Obviously, they're going to try to roll in what they're going to do with control over the Internet, which I think we already know they ultimately have. But the idea that 5G is the next step. I mean, that's the point. That is the next step. Well, not the only step, but to make it out to be that once they allow 5G to be used, that somehow that's the win against the Biden administration. That's just a very binary, lowbrow manipulative people that don't see past the binary arguments. It's all part of the problem. And that's how they get you with the two party illusion is to make you think that if one of these sides is the right side, if I pick one, then I might be. Well, no, if both sides are wrong and there's more than two choices, well, then they're screwing you into a manipulation. And I think that's ultimately what this all is about. I'll might as well play this since I've had this many times and some of you might not have seen it. There's a lot of new people here, but this is not that long ago. This is only a few years ago or maybe even a, yeah, I think a few years ago. It was just before COVID. I believe so. Anyway, the case is it's not that long ago, and this is Senator Blumenthal, when they were talking about 5G, and asked them, while they were admitting, and let's not forget, by the way, I don't finish that sentence, while they were discussing the implementation of 5G, he asked them, had they studied it, and they would admit they haven't done any studies. Well, let's not forget that during COVID-19, do you know who rolled out 5G for the, for the country? And effectively began, and who knows how far it got, because I don't even trust what they tell us, the actual rollout? Donald Trump. And I talked about this, and I just compared it to the, I said, COVID-19, under the cover of COVID-19, Donald Trump was rolling out 5G. I got a million views in that video. And I have a sneaking suspicion that that was the beginning of when they started to take down my channel. Then I also, of course, went on to show you that the symptoms that 5G sickness caused was very similar to COVID-19. But I never made the argument they were the same. I just thought it was very telling and could be an overlap. But my point is that even under Trump, they rolled this out. Stop being played by the, the two-party illusion. How much money has the industry committed to supporting additional independent research? And we're talking about research on the biological effects of this new technology. There are no industry-backed studies, to my knowledge, right now. So essentially, the answer to my question, how much money? Zero. Uh, I can only follow up with you, Senator. To my knowledge, there's no active studies being backed by industry today. Anybody else know of industry commitments to to back research, fund it, support it, to ascertain scientifically the health effect? Well, I'm not aware of any. So there really is no research ongoing. We're kind of flying blind here so far as health and safety is concerned. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Crickets. That's so alarming to me that we can have such a public record. Well, we don't know, no studies that I know of. Then why in the hell is it being rolled out? Because this is what typically happens. It's not about your health or your interest. That's why we're drenched in endocrine disrupting chemicals. And that's why we've got everything, ever, anywhere you can, we could talk about every one of these, the dioxins, PFAS, benzene, these things that are glyphosate, that are drenching your life and affecting your children. And nobody seems to care because conspiracy theorists talk about those things frustrating but that's for another show i also will point out just because i wanted to include this i'm gonna include the link to this there's somebody out there who's desperately trying to pretend to be us 
with the Telegram channel that's already been deleted because people reported it. But I recently saw them commenting on my videos to other people, even though it's a different tagline, as the last American Vagabond on Rumble and trying to send them to fake locations that are not, or you know, give them bunk links that bring them to things that take their, to steal their identity. I reported it to Rumble, but something tells me they don't care. My point is, here's the link, make sure you report it. It only has one follower at this point, but I'm just trying to get ahead of this because there's a lot of people out there that are, as we go more into the deep fake realm of all this, I believe there are people like us that are going to be framed straight up. And I want to be ahead of that. So just heads up, guys. Watch out for people like this. Now, on the point of medical freedom. Now, these are points that I wanted to make sure we didn't miss. Again, shout out to Kevin McKernan. This topic about DNA contamination has not gone away, and it is very real and has been proven the world around. And nobody seems to really want to talk about it. And I mean, like in the anywhere that would matter in places to regulate and, and dictate who takes them. It's just, it's, it shows you how corrupt this is. And again, that I've been saying from the beginning, that means that in any one of these locations, in my opinion, doctors, nurses, regulators, that they effectively pushed away anybody who had integrity, anybody that could see the problem or cared enough to do something about it. And we're left with people that can't see it for any number of reasons or just don't care. Everywhere. Otherwise, this stuff would be called out right now, and there's just no way around it. Let's understand, this is not like a fringe study challenging everything else. This is the body of evidence dramatically on one side of the conversation. People just aren't paying attention right now. They're looking elsewhere. In regard to myocarditis, I mean, from even now in, in the, the actual injection documents and the things they give, they're risking myocarditis as not a fringe small thing. Think about how wild that is. Again, I had entire accounts deleted under the guise or the, the argument that it could even lead to myocarditis. Now they're talking about it as, you know, sore throat, sore arm, myocarditis. You know, a little heart problem, no big deal. Staggering. This, DHTV points out, and this is again from Dr. Um, um, Representative Rennick from Australia, who's been doing a great job on the stuff, in my opinion. We now know the COVID vaccines are highly infectious, his word, and trans can transfect cells throughout the human body, causing unknown harm now and in the future. That's really interesting because they've even used the, the use of the word. I mean, this is, as far as I can tell, a weapon. I just don't, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know if they could build something this weaponized and this effective, I guess, to a degree, depending on what your objective would be, by accident. Again, every single thing they've done seems to be leaning in the direction of making this more harmful, but in just the right ways. But you guys can decide for yourself. The bottom line you should take away from this is this is real and that these things are being proven in real time and no one's talking about it. Questioning revealed some pretty unnerving detail about the mechanism of regulation when it comes to these vaccines. Why wasn't the actual mRNA vaccine tested for genotoxicity and why didn't the uh, Office of Genetic uh, OTGR Therapeutics uh, look at it in terms of a gene technology? Now, remember, we've talked about this already. This is the point about whether they considered a gene therapy or not. And the reason that they jumped over that, even though everything about it, I mean, it is gene therapy. Even Merck admitted this. It's obvious. The point is, the reason they pretended it wasn't was because of this. Because they got to step over this kind of regulation, which would have otherwise found exactly what is being found today. That is a That is real-time evidence that they knew this. At some level, somebody knew and took steps to avoid that. And all the governments went along with it. It seems that when it came to the mRNA vaccine, so Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, the Office of Gene Technology regulator didn't look at um, 
didn't look at the safety, in particular the genotoxicity of it at all. Um, if indeed the mRNA was being manufactured here and it's correct that gene technology was used in the modification of the mRNA, then under the Gene Technology Act an approval would have been required for that manufacturing step. Oh, well, that contradicts what you've said previously. You've said previously no. gene therapy and gene technology wasn't used. The mRNA COVID-19 vaccines did not involve any step of genetic modification, meant that that didn't require regulatory oversight by the OGTR. Now you're saying because it was produced in another country that you're not responsible for checking uh, the gene therapy. So the side Gene Technology Act the gene technology. Does, doesn't reach into manufacturing in other countries. But it still involves transfection here. Right, so just in case you missed that, she knows she's lying. She is covering her ass, is what she's doing right there. You just said moments ago, and again, we've already covered this, but you just said, right, that that's not involved, but now, oh, but we weren't, it's not our responsibility because it was somewhere else. Oh, so you did know that it was happening, it just wasn't your responsibility. Well, that is a lie, straight up. Yeah, it goes in, it transfects cells of Australian citizens. So this vaccine was actually more infectious in the sense that A, we know it could travel throughout the body, and then B, it could enter any cell because of this process known as transfection, which is what, which is what the lipids were designed for. And I would have thought that the TGA, not being experts on gene technology, at the very least, I would have thought they, that the TGA would have checked with the Office of Gene Technology Regulator to make sure that it was a safe product as far as the, the new pathway is concerned. Where they've written to you for Pfizer? No, for Pfizer because one? the mRNA vaccines were not regulated. They, they're not required to be regulated through the OGT. Did, did they write to you and actually ask you that question? No, because they're not required to be regulated through the But OGT. how would they know? Because you're the, you're the expert. And by the way, gene technology involves both replicant, replication and transcription. Yes. Yeah, which is what but the mRNA vaccine the does. For no testing, next to no testing to be done was just, you know, completely unacceptable. And for the, the Office of Gene Technology to wash their hands of this and not, not really um, meet their responsibility of reviewing the safety of the genotoxicity, of, of, you know, of the, the gene therapy and, and analyse it for genotoxicity um, was, was just a gross breach of uh, um, um, trust. Uh, and responsibility as far as I'm concerned. That's just wild. Now, my point in bringing up the DNA contamination is this is exactly what would have been caught most likely in this process, or in general, the fact that this would, it should have been picked up in many other stages of this process. It just shows you how obviously people are lying or going along to get along, which is essentially the same thing, but willful ignorance is a little different than knowingly lying. You know, it's kind of like, I don't want to look at that piece of paper because it might show me something that I'll have to lie about. It's just as dishonest. Truth in Media also points out, Prime Minister, and this is, you know, quickly, not a full discussion about all this stuff, just a couple of opening notes that will bring us into the conversation. But let's not forget, with the WHO pandemic treaty and the direction of the Great Reset World Economic Forum whole focus, this stuff has not stopped. Truth in Media, Ben Swan's platform posts, uh, reports the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Root, or uh, Rutte or Root, I forget how to pronounce that again, is shutting down independent Dutch farms, as we know, but in order to replace them with World Economic Forum approved food innovation hubs. Now, this has been reporting about this already, but I just want to make sure people recognize that this is not like it's in real time. These are things that had we said this in 2020, you would have gotten laughed out of town from people that want to be ignorant about it. But the most people would have been like, that's crazy. That's not going to shut down food. 
I mean, we watch it happen. And now in the process, they were going, oh, you know, Putin and Russia or, you know, whatever narrative they spun. And now we're watching exactly what we would say would happen, that they're rolling it back. They shut them down to justify the next step, which would be exactly what you're going to look at here. Businesses in the agri-food sector should be stimulated and able to create scalable uh, solutions. And here I'd like to highlight a, a World Economic Forum initiative in this regard, the World Economic uh, Forum Food uh, Innovation Hubs. And these hubs in Africa, in Asia, in South America, and in Europe. Which don't work and haven't. You can go back as far as you want to look at this process or even GMO before it. They've made them more food insecure, which kind of seems to be the point. Uh, will allow uh, businesses to connect regional stakeholders to skill innovations, because this is key. Uh, skill innovations that can address food systems, challenge, food systems challenges. And here... The challenges that you've created? The challenges that didn't exist before. Like, this is the reality of what I tried to show people early in this conversation. I've written that. I, I keep, I show the article I wrote about France and the food thing about in like 2017 or whatever. The point is, even back then, same today, and well, who knows now that they've attacked all the agriculture, maybe they've created the problem that they claim was always there. Just in this country, we threw away enough food to fill, to, to feed the country three times over. In the world, we do, or rather, I, I take that back. The stat was for the world that we throw away enough food to feed the world three times over. And this is this is coming from, I mean, even the, you know, I think it was the United Nations has argued that it would take $300 billion a year to feed the world. And even, and not, I'm not saying we should do that. What I'm saying is they dump enough money, billions and billions and billions of dollars around the world in stuff just like this, acting like this will solve it. When they spend more, that actually makes it worse. But the overall point is you can't pretend like we've got some in, in, in food insecurity problem when you can prove that we're throwing stuff away for shapes and discolorment or the idea that we actually don't want to use these kind of processes to help other countries or the fact that the GMO program, program itself literally created food insecurity and we don't point at that and yet we allow, allow Bill Gates to run forward with his next GMO project. Uh, I'm particularly proud to announce that the Netherlands will host the Global Coordinating Secretariat of the World Economic Forum Food Innovation Hubs, which will connect all other food innovation hubs. And I believe this is important because it will be facilitating to create uh, the partnerships we need. Don't you love the way he did that, too? So he starts off like, I've got this, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe this will work. What about this one? You know, the way he kind of casually was like, well, this World Economic Forum example totally fits. And then transitioned to, oh, we already partnered. That's the plan. It's like, okay, so clearly that wasn't just one of possibilities. That's where you're going. And so you can obviously consider the possibility that they shut these things down in order to create this opening for this plan. Not for whatever arbitrary reason. they. I don't even know what their logic was. Does anybody? What was the actual logic for shutting down just all these organic farms? Climate change? I mean, none of these things actually made sense. One day it was Putin. One next day it was because he, food. I mean, everything didn't add up. What we do know is that they literally shut down supplies of food while they're claiming we need more food. Or, you know, I never even got into this, by the way, because I never got distracted. But, you know, arguing cutting down trees to help the planet. Like, these people are destroying us. And people apparently are that stupid that they're willing to walk along you know, yeah, let's let's dump oil on the ground to save the planet. Let's let's pump a, a carbon. I mean, they just these things are counterintuitive. I'm just kind of making that up. It would be like the equivalent of saying let's dump, you know, smog into the air to self to save ourselves. It doesn't make any sense. As much as they try to make it make sense, it really, really doesn't. And I think people are hopefully becoming aware of that. But 
Ben Swan also points out, and this is not new, by the way. I just think it's interesting that people still don't think this is real. And I don't even mean that in the sense that this is ha that has to be some grander plan. I do believe that. But my point is there's people everywhere throughout history that have literally said, we're making a new world order. And yet you, may, you say that and they, people look at you like you're a lunatic. It just shows you how powerful some propaganda can be. But here's Biden. It's, it's actually a bad um, quality, but it's a, it is a new thing. I just I looked it up just a moment ago before we started. It's a real recent speech you gave. But my point is that you can see people going back decades talking about this. And, and right when this actually started. COVID-19 illusion. You saw many people bring up the new world order conversation again. Here's Biden telling you yet again. It happened in a long while. A lot of people died, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there and we've got to lead it. We've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. Yeah. And it's just a coincidence that we all put ourselves in a position to be the ones that rebuild after we destroy everything, right? Just got a new world order. It, this is the class that we've seen this periodically. And guess what happened last time these terms were floated around? The axis of evil. What a coincidence. Now we've got a new one. It's almost like they just can't think up new paradigms, right? They just keep punching in the same old lies. People don't buy it anymore. Well, Secretary Janet Yellen points out, I joined Secretary of Defense and Secretary Blinken and USAID, all the good guys, in a letter urging Congress to fully support the United States government's request, specifically po uh, uh, Biden's request to, to, to sustain our direct budget support to Ukraine. Right. You know, why not just multitask? Let's just dump all of our money and, and let's send 14 billion to Israel, another 100 trillion to Ukraine, whatever they're fun. I'm just throwing numbers out. My point is it's obscene to pretend when even they tell you that we don't have the I mean, where's this coming from? You can't they're they've always printed money. But the idea that they're just going to keep dumping billions and billions. I mean, the debt just keeps growing. I mean, this is at some point this is not sustainable, but this adds to the bigger picture. We seem to be being collapsed. Now, plenty of people in the paradigm is going to, oh, Russia's doing it, China's doing it. Quite frankly, I think it's your government doing it. Now, that may mean the same thing to you, but let's realize that it's not its not always just one boogeyman. I think what we're dealing with is, in fact, the global direction. That's my opinion. But it's not just about one country, and it's its far too simplified. I think what we're seeing, as Matt Eret discusses, is that we're seeing these the, the string pullers that have always been there deciding to come back out of the shadows. I don't mean that in a scary way. I mean, it is, but the the families and the picture of the people that have always been there, the unelected power structure that we all know exists, that is just deciding they want to take power again, like publicly. That's what I think is actually happening. And that's bigger than China or Russia. But it says, which plays a critical role in bolstering their military efforts. So yes, they're discussing that they need to keep funding Ukraine. That seems to be something that is definitely going to continue. But the bottom line is all of these narratives are going to swirl together, I believe, in a election time discussion. I bet we'll see if it happens. But Glenn Greenwald, to bring this into the conversation of how we're seemingly now going to fund both of these things at the same time and everything else, that first of all, the Washington Post writes, the Biden administration officials say Israel's counterattack on Hamas has been too severe and too costly in civilian casualties. Yeah, talk about the understatement of the century, but they are unable to exert significant influence on America's closest ally in the Middle East. So shocking. You mean you can't just do what they, I mean, the idea that we ever thought that it was a one-way street here, that the United States could just have Israel do what they want or even ask them nicely to do what would be the right thing and that would happen is wildly naive. That's never been the case. Quite frankly, it's been aggressively the other direction, but even then, it doesn't always work that way. But here's what Glenn Greenwald put out. Of all the deceitful and morally bankrupt claims that I've heard Joe Biden make over the years, that he's sadly powerless to affect Israeli behavior, 
when he just demanded $14 billion for Israel. And Israel has long received more USA than any other country. About $4 billion a year post-Obama's agreement is appalling. I mean, think about that. So you're, now you're admitting that you really can't influence their actions. And I'll get into the points where he literally goes, no, like ceasefire, no. Minimize civilian casualties, no. <laughs> I'm going to fight against Hamas no matter what. Like whatever their narrative is, just, it's getting more belligerent. And then you ask for $14 billion. So what that makes clear is whether or not they even even pretend to minimize casualty, you're still going to fund it, which shows you they don't care. They don't care about what's actually happening. They care about what that might hurt, if that might hurt them. You know, our opinion might then change how we view them. That's what they care about. They don't care about civilians in Palestine. They don't care about you. It's just that we need to start recognizing the reality of this. Now, Alan McLeod points out as the Boston Globe writes, White House frustrated by Israel's onslaught, but sees few options. Just, it's just so stupid. And of course, he writes a few options the U.S. has. You know, a few. There's plenty more. Stop blocking U.N. ceasefire resolutions. You know, one, stop supplying Israel weapons. Stop publicly endorsing Israeli bombings. Make one phone call to Israel telling them to stop, which, of course, I don't think they will do. But the point is, politically, you can make it clear, we've taken a stance. This is wrong, and we don't support it. But they'll never do that. Which I, I think we should start asking why. This is not just about supporting your ally. This is, they're hemorrhaging clout. People see this right now. And that's why even the Democrats even like, whoa, Biden, Biden. Like the point is for me, everybody in the U.S. government is very aware that the world sees what's happening. And I mean, even Israel's pointing that out at this point. They act like it's a propaganda, that the Hamas propaganda is winning, which is always how this goes. And maybe you could think that that's how you want to view it. I quite frankly think the truth is winning out against their ridiculous propaganda, which is not about Hamas, but about the onslaught of Palestine. But my point is that if they stood up and just said, you know, we stand against this, well, that would change things quite dramatically. I, Israel probably still wouldn't stop, but it would change if they would gain much more support. People would see that they at least pretend to care not happening, which means that they are willing to stand this out even as they lose everything, which seems to suggest to me an overwhelming amount of influence on U.S. policy or, you know, sanction Israel, which will never happen. But let's get into some current updates in this as we start off this main part of the conversation, just so you know where this is currently at. And this is from today, or yes, oh, excuse me, yesterday, late yesterday. Israeli forces cut off North Gaza to isolate Hamas as Palestinian deaths surpassed 10,000. Now, this, this really gets unnerving to me how wrong all of this is. The idea, and this is what I told you was happening early, that the idea would probably morph into because of their bombing, not Hamas, but their bombing. In many locations, we can prove Hamas is not present, including UN facilities and hospitals and so on. We'll get into that. The point, though, is that they would rationally then argue because of how bad it was that they would then say, well, let's get them out of here. Let's keep them safe, even though they clearly don't want to do that. So in the meantime, they get to murder as many as they want and then, and then pretend because of that danger that we need to get them out in safety. Now, the, the good guy, even though nobody would think that, my point, though, is that this is what seems to begin to happen where they cut them off, they drive them north, and I'm going to show you this procession of Palestinians all marching through where they're probably being bombed along the way. That is a war crime. That's my point. Mass displacement is a war crime. doesn't matter because you fill in the blame. Well, Hamas and blah, blah. That's narrative. That's justification. You don't get to go, well, I murdered him because he was a bad person. He did X, Y, and Z. I mean, think about that for a second. Let's just take ourselves to U.S. law for an American out there, right? So there's a really bad guy. That guy's trying to do bad things to people. 
I mean, even under the argument that people are, as an individual, somebody's trying to kill somebody else. Like maybe in that extreme circumstance, you could argue that murdering them back would be under the law acceptable. But even then, in many cases, that's not how that goes. We've heard the stories about people breaking in. I mean, anyway, the bottom line is the idea that we're going to rationalize murder because of murder just ends up, and that's what I've been saying this from the beginning, makes you at least as bad as they are in any circumstance, especially now that we see 10,000, 4,000 plus children, 65 plus percent women and children being killed. This story has obviously shifted. And so the world can sell. The Israeli military army served northern Gaza, severed, excuse me, northern Gaza from the rest of the besieged territory and pounded it with airstrikes Monday, yesterday, preparing for expected ground battles with Hamas. Now, I'm not going to, I rarely report on the moment-to-moment -moment reports of what's going on because they never end up being accurate. But I still, I still entertain them and I listen to people that I believe are giving you somewhat of an accurate representation. And from what I can tell, it seems that, you know, Israel is moving all over the place. But what I'm being told is that they're not even trying to stop their movement through Gaza, but ultimately still just, you know, winning is a hard word to put on this right now, but ultimately exacting very terrible losses from the Israeli IDF right now. And, and the reports seem very one-sided. But again, it's hard. I don't know. I can't verify most of what's happening. But that would make sense, especially based on what's happened in the past. 2014, for example, where it went terribly for them and they were quite embarrassed. And this is the same dynamic. Now it says, already the Palestinian death toll surpassed 10,000, according to the Ministry of Health, which even the Washington Post has argued has been damn near exactly close to what Israel even says post-wars in the past. It says, uh, the war is quickly becoming the deadliest Israeli-Palestinian violence since Israel's in, in, uh, establishment <laughs> 75 years ago. You got to love that effort. You mean the illegal occupation that everyone maintains is an illegal occupation? Go ahead and say that, AP. Maybe find some journalism in there. With no end in sight as Israel vows to remove Hamas from power and crush its military... Again, from power. It's not even remotely what's actually happening right now. And they know that, and that's why they're engaging with the Palestinian Authority to be the ruling faction. I mean, they have mo the, the most power that I can see over what goes on in both the West Bank and in Gaza. And that is why they deal with them. And so it's just this weird dynamic where when they want them to be, Hamas is the one that's in control of everything, even the crossing, apparently, even though that's ridiculously not true. And even that was exposed by Matt Miller getting kind of lost in the narrative and going, oh, no, it was because they weren't there. They couldn't cross. Oh, no, I mean, it's because they were there and back and forth. The point is, it's Israel that controls that crossing. And that's why it's an open air prison. They're not allowed to leave. Either way, the way you frame this is important. Now, going under the bombardment, it says several hundred thousand people are believed to remain in the North. Not believed, we can prove it. Why? Because the UN tells us. Not, not saying I blindly trust the UN, what I'm saying is because that is easily proven based on the reports from the ground and that the United Nations is purporting with both video and audio and, and everything else we're seeing. And I'll show you some of those right now. But the point is that that's usually the group that they use to justify their narrative. And now they're at odds, which is very telling. But the bottom line, in multiple locations, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are sheltering, most of which can't leave. And I'll get into the doctors telling you that. Doctors from London that are in Gaza right now that are actually still in northern Gaza as they bomb. And that's not apparently a problem for U.S. government or the British government for that matter. They remain there because they cannot move people that are on ventilators, people that have had limbs blown off, people that children, babies, ventilators, or I mean uh, incubators, people on ventilators. 
It's unbelievable how many people are stuck there and they keep screaming. It's not because we don't want to leave. Some of them don't, but because we are incapable of doing so. And guess what? They're bombing those hospitals. I'll show you today. There's just no misunderstanding what's happening right now. And I'm getting to the point about human shields and Hamas being there. They're lying about this stuff. At very least, in many of these locations, I quite frankly think most of it. In recent days, airstrikes have hit UN facilities. This is the AP saying this. Airstrikes have hit UN facilities where thousands are sheltering, as well as hospitals, which have been overwhelmed and wounded and by wounded running low on power and supplies. I just don't understand. I mean, I guess I do. I, I mean, I, I, people see it. So I guess I do understand. I don't understand how the government thinks that they can get away with continuing to pretend that this is what it looks like. Literally, the Associated Press is reporting that they're bombing UN facilities. Not even Israel is pretending that that's Hamas there or that there's Hamas controlling that or any narrative within that. This, shouldn't that end the conversation? Where's the, I mean, you, the UN is actually screaming about it. Even the WHO has spoken up about it. But yet the, U, the, the American government continues to act like this is no big deal or that we're, we believe they're acting with international law. No, you don't. It's right there. You know they're not. They've admitted they're not. It's staggering to me. It goes on to say, a strike early Monday hit the roof of Gaza City's Shifa Hospital, the roof of the hospital, killing a number of displaced people sheltering on its top floor and destroying, this is probably why it happened, the solar panels. This is the general manager of the hospital reported this. The panels have been helping keep the power on, which is what they don't want, which has reduced, been reduced to using one generator because of lack of fuel, which then hurts people that are trying to be helped. The strike came in what witnesses said was one of the heaviest nights of bombardment yet. After a month-long daily round-the-clock bombing, and yesterday was one of the worst, Israel said it struck 450 targets overnight, killing a number of Hamas military commanders, which I don't believe for a second that I'll get into the reports coming even from the Pentagon that seem to suggest that they're lying about that. Israel blames civilian casualties on Hamas because it's as simple as that, right? It's not us doing it. It's Hamas's fault we're bombing civilians, accusing the militants of operating in residential neighborhoods. Have you seen a single example of that? I mean, anything. The best they have is a 3D graphic they made that pretends to show red squares around areas they claim Hamas are in. Nobody has seen a single evidence, point of evidence even suggesting that that's happening. I'm not saying it's not other than the fact that I, the UN has investigated and said that's not happening in the past, as well as the fact of human shields. We, it, it, on top of this, we can prove that the UN locations they're bombing aren't. So at the very least, we can see that some of them aren't, so they're lying. I think none of them are. That's my opinion. And I mean this because I do not think that they're even, let me put it this way, even if some of them happen to be, I don't think they care about that. I think this is about all of Palestine, which I don't even think I need to qualify. It's very literally what's happening in front of us. You can't just blame all of your civilian casualties on Hamas when you can clearly see that they have bomb locations as, again, here, this is the one, I, I need to include this again. I'm not going to go over it all again. Oh, dang it. That's too bad. Oh, it's .org. Come on, give me the other one. Damn it. Hold on. There's a report they put out on October 20th. It was very important. Here it is. 
Nope. There we go. There we go. Now, I'm not going to go over this again, but you need to read this. This is from the 20th of October. And the main point that they're making in this is, and this is the why I brought it up. They're trying to say that it's all Hamas's fault. Well, okay, the UN buildings are the obvious example. There's no way you could pretend that they're not bombing civilian targets when they're bombing civilian locations that they know the coordinates of, that the UN has confirmed, that Israel's confirmed, and they bomb them anyway. The point is, we don't even need that point. The, it, the Amnesty International and plenty of others have proven this long before the October 7th point. But what it says is in their investigation, they found, where was it? Well, let's read the first part. It says that they, in each of these cases, yeah, right here, Israel attacks violated international law. They have five, they only investigated five cases. And only these, these five cases are between the 7th and the 12th of October. It's November 7th. Five cases of horrific destruction and in some cases wiped out entire families. In this, the organization presents an in-depth analysis of its findings in these five unlawful attacks in Amnesty International's opinion. In each of these cases, Israel attacked attacks violated international law, including by failing to take feasible precautions to spare civilians, one, or by carrying out indiscriminate attacks that fail to distinguish between civilians and military objects, or, and most importantly, by carrying out attacks that may have been directed against civilian objects. They are targeting civilians. And if you read this, it'll blow your mind if you don't think so, because it's very obvious. Now it says the overnight barrages crushed homes, burying unknown numbers of people underneath. This is reported directly from the Associated Press. And this is at the Shati refugee camp. Just one F refugee camp after the next. Let's just keep it going. It's all Hamas, bad guy, right? A densely built up district in the Mediterranean coast adjacent to the center of Gaza City. Palestinians who fled on Monday reported that they were bombing all these civilian locations. And we don't need them to back that up. It's reported by Amnesty International, the United Nations, and pretty much everybody around the world right now. Now, Ghassan Abu Sita, who we've, refer we've referenced before, the surgeon at Shifa Hospital, who's still there, mind you, who's from London, told the Associated Press that the hospital building shook all night from the bombardment and, quote, we started getting the bodies and the wounded. It was horrendous. Around 70% of Gaza's 2.3 million residents, 70% have fled their homes since the war began. That's a war crime. Food, medicine, fuel, and water are running low, and they keep reporting this. It's, they've lost. It's out. The hospital system collapsed a week and a half ago. Reported across the news. But of course, the news school asked them, hey, how, are you, wh how long until it collapsed? It collapsed already. They're operating on minimal. I mean, this is the equivalent of the shoestrings and bubblegum scenario, guys. This is, they're using, they don't have anesthesia. They don't have hospital beds. This is over. They're doing things in archaic measure to people that are in, in children with, Limbs blown off. I mean, this is her, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. 70% of them are now stuck in this situation. And it says UN run schools turned shelters are beyond capacity. Right. And just so you don't just so you don't forget, even Reuters has reported that Israel strikes killed six people in a United Nations school. Remember when that one report used to be shocking? When they would say Palestine or Gaza did this or Iran did this or Syria, Assad bombed this school and killed UN member. That would have been the biggest deal. Not now. Nobody cares. Oh, Israel did it? Well, Hamas might have been there, so let's all ignore it. I mean, my God.
People that are doing that are disgusting people. So make sure you remember who they are. And then many of these people, the millions of citizens that live there who are not part of Hamas, are sleeping in the streets right now because they were pushed out onto the streets to go wherever with nowhere else to go. No food, no water, no fuel, nothing. And they're all just wandering around. Mobile phones, internet service, of course, went down in the, in the meantime because that helped them, right? The third territory wide outage, which is completely completely being done on purpose by Israel. U.S. President Joe Biden raised the need for humanitarian pauses because he's a coward, because he's an open, proud Zionist, and a pause is the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. As anybody who with brain cells and a heart have been saying, so the logic is we're going to pause and give them food and then just keep bombing them again, which is what's happening. So you're going to feed them and then kill them? That makes a lot of sense. This is about politics. Because they know they're losing this narrative, so they they have to do something. But we don't want to say ceasefire because that makes us look like we lost. That's how petty these people are. Directly with, and of course, the ceasefire legally comes along with agreements and the uh, the you know signed documents that say we won't keep fighting, which they they break anyway. But a pause is just an arbitrary. Let's just hold off until you decide to start again, which probably won't even wait that long. They'll probably start bombing as soon as the trucks come in, which we've already seen. Now Netanyahu on says they with he raised this with Netanyahu on Monday, but of course there was no agreement because Netanyahu said, "No, we're going to keep murdering people," or you know, and he he says, "Keep bombing Hamas." So far, Israel has rejected U.S. suggestions for a pause, which we'll get into. It seems that they were actually asking for ceasefire aimed at facilitating humanitarian aid deliveries, which, by the way, is also a war crime that they're not. And the release of some of the estimated 240 prisoners seized by Hamas in the raid. Which some of which have already been released. Sometimes they say 200 from Israel. Sometimes they say 240. They argue all the time that there's a bunch of babies and children, but that doesn't seem to line up with what Haaretz's investigation has proven. So I'm still completely, I mean, my whole thing about this is I, we haven't gotten anything to verify even remotely what they've been saying from the beginning of this. And again, I'll get into the October 7th conversation about how we can prove that IDF shot their own people to some degree, according to Israelis who reported that from the ground and people who are at the concert who reported they were shot or they were shot at when they were trying to flee or the helicopter pilots that admitted they shot at people fleeing that could have had hostages or the fact that tank they fired tanks on homes that held hostages and they admitted that. But none of that matters in the land of let's hide anything that makes Israel look bad. The bottom line is, I don't know what I trust at all coming from this government, but bottom line is, I don't think we're even being told the truth about what happened and who was taken. And as they indiscriminately bomb, they don't care about them either. That either tells me that they don't have these people or that they already killed them or they're trying to. You guys can decide for yourself, but it's pretty grotesque to watch as they refuse hostage exchanges multiple times, then pretend like they're not offering it, and then continue to bomb where they might be. Now, under fleeing south, some 800,000 people have heeded Israel military's orders, which they don't have the legal right to displace people, that's why it's a war crime, to flee to southern Gaza, you know, where they're also bombing, and bombing on the way there, as even Amnesty International has reported. But again, we're supposed to pretend like they care about the people that they bomb as they go where they tell them to go. No, that shows you that they're pretending that they're helping people, and the U.S. government toes that line, and then they murder them on the way. And then they put, you know, but Hamas, I think, or did we prove that? No, let's just keep going. That's all it takes. Was it Hamas? Well, we don't know. Let's just say that. It's happened in multiple locations. We have the evidence of people who were shot in the streets as they were fleeing, and they just, somebody online goes, Hamas did it. And that becomes the narrative. Even though you can quite literally prove that that was an Israeli attack. Doesn't matter to people who just want to tell lines. But continued Israeli strikes in central and southern Gaza 
the purported safe zone killed dozens of people on Sunday. I mean, think about how wild that is that we're reading from Associated Press. So as I go online and I say, but they're bombing the places they tell them to go. All of the Zionist shills online will go, you're a liar, you're a terrorist supporter. And people get swayed by that. But it's literally right in front of you. I'm not saying we should trust Associated Press blindly, but that is what's happening. I'm just showing you how interesting this is. This, kind of overlap has become where even they here be feeling compelled to report what seems to probably even be the half truth. There's probably way worse than that, that they struck where they told them to go. It's as simple as that. So they don't care about them or the civilians they claim they're trying to save. After another strike on Monday, which was yesterday in Khan Yunus, again, the, the place weirdly Dershowitz was held down bent on go there. It'll be safe. And they bombed that place more than anywhere in the South. Maybe Dershowitz knew that. And I'm just kind of being facetious, but interesting how he tells you that's the safe place, and now that's been bombed repeatedly. Now it says, men dug through the rubble with sledgehammers and bare hands trying to save people. And I'll show you some really heart-wrenching pictures that I, not, I, I, I've tried not to get into that stuff, but there's some things I think are really important to understand, the kind of people that are being affected by this. The young family that flees to the South when they don't want to leave their home, and then they get bombed, and their children get buried in rubble. And they're a Hamas terrorist because Israel says so. A young boy caked in dust screamed as he was rolled into a stretcher and carried away. Is he a Hamas member? Does that matter to people? If Hamas was holding him as a hostage, is, is it his fault? Even though that's not what's happening in this case. But even if it was, are we going to watch this child screaming as his family was just killed and pretend like that all lines up? At least two people were killed, according to the Associated Press reporter. And he would have probably been killed if he was there because they're bombing reporters too. The health ministry said that 10,022 people have been killed in Gaza, including over 4,100 children and 2,600 women. And you have to remember, they've released names, ages. You can verify this stuff. You have not gotten the similar thing from Israel in a large sense. More than 2,300 people are missing and believed to be buried under the rubble and destroyed by build, in, in, of destroyed buildings. The Israeli army... Now realize, do you, I mean, the, the sheer number of buildings that have been attacked... I mean, I almost think that somebody needs to do a mathematical equation here and 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 prove there's just no way legit like that they're the I guess the way I'm trying to say is that the amount of structures that have been attacked and the argument being that every one of those was because Hamas was using them. I mean, they must have some of the most the, the amount of infrastructure, money, I mean, even if it's like sub, like not super technologically built stuff, like that is a huge amount of stuff that they're talking about. Entire cities have been destroyed here. And we're talking about the idea that you're claiming that every one of those was some kind of a mosque command center. I mean, my point is, I don't think that's even feasibly possible. Not in the way that they're claiming it. But I think we all know this. They're not only bombing Hamas. And it's that simple. The Israeli army said 30 Israeli troops have been killed since the ground offensive a week ago. In the meantime, we've seen thousands of people killed. I think about a thousand children. But 30 Israeli troops have been killed. So let's make sure we have some, some context here to see what, you know, it's like that's, it's just so blatantly obvious. Hamas and other militants have continued firing rockets into Israel, disrupting daily life, even as most are intercepted and followed open areas. That's the point that I was making on the pirate stream. These are not causing problems. Most of them don't have any effect. The ones that do barely cause any damage. And I'm not going to say that couldn't hurt somebody. And yes, because they're rockets, that means they're by default indiscriminate, but that's not their, I mean, but it, either way, that their responsibility, they're firing them. 
My point, though, is it goes back to the occupation concept and the idea that Israel is the one that has brought a population to the doorstep of their illegal occupation. So that is ultimately them using human shields. But my point is that when they fire these rockets and they might land in a civilian area, that technically does not line up with the rules of war. You just have to be honest about that. But the bottom line is that they're minimal. And even the AP is pointing that out. So in the meantime, when they've caused a few, fired a few rockets that disrupt their lives, you know, you've killed 2,000 children since then and buried women and killed 10,000 people. We have to be honest about what's what we're looking at here. Add these so I don't forget. So you guys can include these in the show notes. Please read this amnesty report. Now, this is what I mean by a war crime. Thousands passed through the evacuation corridor, which by the way, they're bombing, as even AP just told you, that I, the IDF opened for civilians. Now people are going, yay, look, they care. People are sharing this, like, look at them fighting for the civilian. That's not what's happening. Not a single one of those people, I bet, want to be there or want to leave their homes or support what they're doing. Now I could be wrong, of course. I would even argue that probably there's somebody in there. But my point is that ultimately all these people are in the act or the but the recipients, I'm framing that terribly. This is a war crime, is my point. Israel's committing a war crime by displacing them no matter what. That's what people in the international community are trying to make clear. Yeah, uh, Orwell's pointing out in the chat, why should I include, uh, even Maduro is speaking out and calling out Zionism specifically. I have a video that I'll share as we go forward in another episode, most likely, going all the way back to the, like a very old video from, I think, an African leader that's calling out the fact that Zionism is the manipulation of Judaism. And I'm glad that people are finally finding the courage to talk about this. And they'll always want to make it about racist and hating Jews, and it's not, right? It's, I mean, this is, my very point is that I'm, in fact, defending them and supporting and fighting for their rights as I try to expose the fact that Zionism is manipulating them. Matt Eret made a great point on AM Wake Up today about this exact thing, that historically there's always something like this. There's always something in, in a sense of Christianity. There's all these manipulative movements that are trying to undermine them and downplay because the idea of any of these religions, in my opinion, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or, or, or you know, being a Muslim or any of these conversations, that it's, in its core, it's about trying to be empathetic, have compassion for people, and you know, do, do the right thing ultimately. And I think people in one way or another are going to go, that's not true. Muslims hate everybody. Or no, that's not true. Jews hate everybody. Everyone's got their, their blinders on. My point is what we're saying is the reason you may think that is because Zionism is manipulating it. Or in this case, we have the probably U.S. establishment or the Western establishment manipulating the way we perceive what Muslims are or that Arabs are. Or in this case, Christianity, the same thing. We're constantly being played by the power structure. You know what? To fight each other and not them. I think that's important. But of course, there's somebody out there that's going to say I'm wildly uninformed because I don't realize that Muslims are the worst thing in the world or Christians are the worst thing in the world or whatever they all personally think. But I think we're all being manipulated by power structures that don't want us to realize that inherent within these movements are people trying to be good as they get displaced because they call them bad things. But here, Husam Zamlat from the Palestinian Authority or rather the PLO. I wanted to play this clip again. We played this in the pirate stream. But this is the kind of thing I'm trying to show people is that the media even as this guy, I, I argue, at least gives her time to speak. And in fact, the guy literally, it seems to at least care enough to have someone like this on. Even then, he's completely talking about the pause. And like, it's just, it's, it's just, they're so uninformed about what's really going on. But the point that we're trying, this video makes is that this woman who is just blown away by the way the world is covering this story and that there's no way to misunderstand what's actually happening. The rest is narrative. 
uh, my relationship with the Gaza Strip over the last uh, 10 years uh, has been as a teacher, not through MSF. I go and I train with a group of, of physicians and surgeons from Oxford University. I also do work for MSF and I speak on their behalf for the international community on this particular issue. Um, so what, what I will be referring to in the rest of this interview with you is my relationship with colleagues in Gaza who don't necessarily work for MSF. Okay. Uh, I have a long-standing relationship with, with the medical community in the Gaza Strip through my training trips uh, over the last decade. And are you in and contact with them? Are you in regular contact I am. And what are they yeah. telling you? So I just want to say it's a very hard act to follow after listening to Biden's speech because, um, you know, what I'm about to tell you just seems so uh, such a shock compared to the, the the rest of the narrative that I've been listening to, waiting for my my uh, my interview. Uh, this is an avalanche of human suffering that's a hundred percent man-made. It is the the worst humanitarian catastrophe I've experienced in my lifetime and in my growingly long career in humanitarian medicine. And it's burning through the hearts of every single humanitarian that I know. You know, I'm gonna paint a picture for you of the degree of suffering that we're seeing. People keep asking me about medical aid and hospitals and the situation of the hospitals. The entire hospital healthcare system collapsed almost a week ago. It was announced on TV for the whole world to see. And in that week, there has been indiscriminate bombardment. I don't even know if indiscriminate is the right term because it's targeting healthcare facilities, ambulances, churches, mosques, schools, refugee camps, densely populated refugee camps, wiping out entire families in a second, entire multi-generational extended families in a second. There are almost 1,000 families in the Gaza Strip who have had at least two members of their family, at least two members killed in the last three weeks. There are almost 4,000 children who have been killed and identified, excluding almost 1,000 children whose bodies are still trapped under the rubble. Some of them may be alive for a long period before they ultimately die under the rubble. And I'm sorry if there are any young you know, children watching this, perhaps this is a good time to ask them to leave the room, but I think it's important that I paint a picture particularly when I'm following a news narrative that almost dismisses this avalanche of, of suffering that, that is unprecedented in modern times. You know, there's an acronym in the, in the Gaza Strip right now. You know, I, I'm a pediatric intensive care doctor. I see a lot of suffering in my career. There's an acronym that is unique to the Gaza Strip and it's called, it's WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. Children, and it is used not infrequently in the last three weeks. It was coined in the last three, three weeks. One physician told me two days ago that, or a few days ago, that a little uh, girl came in wounded and she had a piece of paper in her pocket that she handed to him. He sent me a picture of the piece of paper. It had 27 names on it. And she said, these are the members of my family that were with me in my home. Please look for them. Please look for them under the rubble. Don't look for this one. And she points to the name of her sister. I know she's already dead. This is a 10 year old little girl. Wounded child, no surviving family should not exist as an acronym. And to, to follow President Biden as he continues to justify and to warmonger 
All I can say is this has to stop. It's a collective stain on our humanity. It's a, a, a stain on our collective humanity. And, and it's ask, gonna I, You paint such a, a vivid and horrific picture. Um, you really do. And I, and I understand that these are your friends who you've worked with and, and how difficult that must be. You're not alone. I, I, I've been hearing today from reading testimony today from Philip Lazzarini, who's the Commissioner General of UNRWA. He's been speaking to the UN Security Council. He said this, the sanitary conditions are appalling. That's the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency I've been referencing. That's the, the, the commissioner of it. People live on very little bread and whatever is left of some water. 70 of their staff members have been killed. 88 and now. they are looking after 670,000 people in their refugee centers. Is there any sign from what you're hearing that of a humanitarian pause or pauses that could be negotiated? So those are the places they're bombing, guys. Those refugee camps, like they're, they're, they're refugee camps, but there's also the UN location. They've been 50 of those locations bombed where they're holding thousands of people, the United Nations, and nobody comments about that. I'm not a politician, but the word pause to me makes no sense. You know, you pause to, to, to nourish and, and, and hydrate a population before you kill them. It just doesn't make any sense for me. You you stop the bombardment. That is what that is what the entire global community should be pushing for and should be uh, insisting on. You 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 know and and I think uh, in in leading up to my introduction, I think you interviewed somebody who said something very similar. A Gazan who said something very similar. You know, the priority is not giving us aid. You need to stop the indiscriminate bombardment. You know, and what's so alarm what's so ridiculous about all this is it's. That's a framed, of course, as some kind of loss against Hamas. Like, how are you asking us to give in to Hamas? What are you talking about? There, there's not even a logic to that statement. This is about the people that are civilians that are in the way. Are you pretending that Hamas is going to get away somehow? You're, you have them in an open-air prison. The idea that somehow by some, creating a ceasefire is going to... Oh, the only thing that does is put Israel in a position to stop being able to murder Palestinians. That's the only thing that changes. Now, a senior diplomat in New York tells Mark Seden this morning, in lieu of Israel-Palestine and the Western response, he says, quote, I don't think that the global South is going to forget this. And I think the world has changed forever because of what Israel has done. The UN News puts out, and this is, I have no way a fan of Antonio Guterres, but even this person is saying, the nightmare in Gaza is more than a humanitarian crisis, it is a crisis of humanity. Now, I am not unaware of the obvious concern for what the UN might be trying to accomplish or whether we should be trusting the body of the United Nations ever or anybody for that matter, which doesn't mean the independent parts and members of the United Nations, but the body itself. It's by acknowledging the reality of the situation, it, it, to, to frame, in my opinion, that this whole thing is about the UN trying to justify some war to make the next step. They don't need this location to make that happen, in my opinion. Of course, I could be wrong. But the idea of just simply, I think this is about them losing official capacity to such a degree because people see that they're lying to you, that they begin to go the other direction, just like the U.S. government. Not because they care about people, in my opinion, but because they ultimately recognize that we see that they're not on the side of the law or however you want to frame that. But I do ultimately think that trying to, we have to see that these things both exist at the same time. I still very much think, my gut tells me, that this was not some massive step in the Great Reset, or however you want to frame that. It's going to be used in that regard like anything else. 
I very much do think that what we're ultimately seeing is the Zionist agenda imploding because of what they're doing and that the world around it is being shown to be so overwhelmingly influenced by that agenda that it's being the, the ties are being vividly seen in real time. That's what I think. But both are happening. But it's important not to think that it's sort of like, remember in the beginning of the Donbass situation, Ukraine and Russia, that people like Eva Bartlett got very upset to those kind of statements, acting like, oh, this is all a big false flag, you know, com construct to, to get us into X, Y, and Z, which that is part of the way these things are used. But the people of Donbass have been ethnically cleansed for a decade. So she got upset because people quickly kind of washed away their suffering under the guise that it was all a big lie. Same kind of thing here. We can't, we have to acknowledge the Palestinian genocide, whether or not it was designed for an agenda. Before we take a next step, we have to stop that and have to help people survive what's going on while be, being on guard to how these things could be used. Both exist, right? I think that's super important. Now, the cradle reports that Iran says that Washington is lying about the Gaza ceasefire talks. Now, this is not just Iran saying this. This is coming up from a lot of different directions. The point is, well, and I'll just read directly from the, the, the point that says the U.S. was making behind-the-scenes calls for a humanitarian ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, contradicting what Washington's public statements. The U.S. was seeking a humanitarian ceasefire last week. This is according to uh, what the representative from Iran on social media. Quote, we got the message. They say absolutely false. Of course, at the same time, they managed the war game against Gaza and the West Bank of, Pal of Palestine, stopped the hypocrisy and genocide against Gaza, he added. Now, the U.S. has so far vetoed three U.N. resolutions calling for an immediate ceasefire, which is just grotesque, acting like they care about these people. Of course, not just the ceasefire, but immediate evacuation of civilians. See, all these have been vetoed and unimpeded access to humanitarian aid. Why? None of that makes any sense, especially when we can already point out that even Hamas has argued that the UN should mediate this to make sure that it goes to people that need it. The point is, it's not they don't want to help Palestinians. Washington put forward its own resolution on the 25th at the UN Security Council, calling instead for temporary pauses to the fighting. However, the initial text of the resolution did not call for a humanitarian pause and mainly highlighted Israel's right to defend itself. Big surprise. It also made calls for Iran to stop arming the resistance in Gaza as the U.S. openly continues to arm Israel. Which Again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a childish binary game. Russia and China vetoed the resolution. And the point, I'll go the last part, is the original draft shocked many diplomats, Reuters said, and was amended before being put to the vote. So you can clearly see, even for as Reuters is reporting, that this is a, a falsity. They're putting forward a line, while in, in two ways, it seems, on one side of this, actually wanting the people in the inner community of the UN to hear that they want a ceasefire, right? That's what this appears to show, while telling Israel that it's only about the pauses, but then also what becomes interesting as we get into another part of this, is I think it's the end of the segment, that talks about how the United the US is actually, it possibly, saying these things outwardly or inwardly to the UN, but then actively funding and helping Israel no matter what. Now that makes more sense to me than anything. Sarah points out that every Israeli war crime is a U.S. war crime, and I agree with that, not only for this point, but check this out. Yesterday, the Wall Street Journal reports that the United States plans to transfer precision-guided bombs to Israelis worth $320 million, because they clearly need that, right, to fight a guerrilla warfare tactic entity that has no army, no, or no, no navy, no air force, but you're going to give them precision-guided bombs so they can keep bombing from the sky and murdering everybody? Apparently so. It's just grotesque. It really is. The best word for it. Now, let's not forget, 
as Zachary Foster pointed out, UNICEF, WHO, Oxfam, everybody everywhere is calling for a ceasefire. The the very humanitarian organizations they otherwise throw in your face about any other narrative that are now totally against what they're doing. And even the United Nations Geneva, Geneva put this out yesterday. We need an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. It's been 30 days. Enough is enough. 30 days of round-the-clock bombing. This is more bombing than I've seen. I mean, we, they've compared this to other wars, guys. They've bombed more in this 30 days than most other wars ever. Enough is enough. And this must stop. Heads of 18, 18 UN agencies and NGOs issue a joint statement about a ceasefire. This is the point I'm trying to make. Everybody that's usually on their side is going, this is grotesque. You need to stop. Sarah Abdallah writes, and this is not just the South Africa, but it's relevant because obvious the history of South African apartheid. South Africa, along with many other countries around the world, have already withdrawn all of the diplomats from Israel in response to the genocide in Gaza. I mean, Spanish, uh, the uh, uh, Queen of Jordan has been speaking out publicly, round the clock. I mean, you, this is genocide. We bring them before the ICC. I mean, it's not going well for them. Another Holocaust in the history of humankind is unacceptable, and the South African government has decided to withdraw all its diplomats in Tel Aviv for consultation. They're calling this a Holocaust. Think about that. Now, here is, this comes from a tweet where Torah Judaism, which you should follow, by the way, simply calling out any group that's benefiting from the ongoing apartheid state and occupation of Palestine. In this case, Starbucks. But this point was about Azad pointing out that Netanyahu has said publicly to ABC News. Now, let's not forget, before I even say that, what, what did he tell Gazans more than once? Oh, you come back. Or excuse me, Palestinians, you can come back. Just move out of the way and, we'll, and then we could take care of Hamas and you can come on back. As every other member of the government says, that'll never happen. Well, guess what? He says to ABC News. Oh, actually, I think I'm conflating points here. This one is specifically about how they'll always maintain control of Gaza, but it's the same point. I argue for that very reason, they'll never let them come back. But what this shows me is that he is hell-bent hell on controlling this area, which seems to be what that leaked plan was all about. Biden has said that it would be a mistake for Israel to occupy Gaza. Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Before he answers that, see, this is the kind of game they play in partisan media or the two-party paradigm in general. So they're not currently occupying Gaza? Oh, so, so, so who is, David? Who's, who's occupying Gaza right now? So the only argument you could make is that, that Gaza is its own place. But if that's the case, then, then why is it occupied within Israel? And why does Israel control its water and its food? And like, they play this game all the time. Do you realize how embarrassing that is to be that uninformed or that willfully deceptive? That it would be, a rather from Biden specifically, that it would be a wrong move to occupy Gaza? Well, too late. About, about you know, what is it? Eight, two, whatever, I think it was 60... Well, it's such a hard, I, I, quite frankly, my point is they've occupied Palestine for 75 years. So whether they ended up closing in that one specific area of Gaza, which is an important point, it's been occupied for 75 years. So to pretend that it's not occupied is just blatantly dishonest, but they know what they're doing. Who should govern Gaza when this is for Israel to occupy Gaza? Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not... Uh... Uh, I think Israel will, for uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it, when we don't have that security responsibility. Or more specifically, you've seen what happens when you have that responsibility. 
you created Hamas, you funded Hamas. We'll show you next, yet again, even from a brand new article from Times of Israel. They did this for years in order to affect, I mean, the point is that ultimately you can prove that they're involved with this exact dynamic, but not even that's important for this point. What he's ultimately saying is that we will indefinitely, that's a very specific word, it means forever, control Gaza, which by the way was the lie deal of the century with Trump. Robert broke that down 10 ways over, showing you that all it was was exactly what's happening now with different words. That's the point. You can call apartheid democracy. It doesn't change the fact that it's apartheid. And that's the reality here. But what he's admitting to you is that they will never allow anybody else to control it because they want all of this area. And Biden and everybody else will just give you a bunch of flowery words or maybe if you can get it out entirely in one sentence, but they will lie to you is the point over and over and over while they oppress these people. Now, here's the other angle to this. Sam Husseini, excellent, doing, always doing a great job. I want to make sure to point out what he said in this recent State Department briefing. He says he asked the State Department on Tuesday about the recent, uh, this is the Don Mina report documenting that Biden's administration efforts to pay for Israeli plans to ethnically cleanse Palestinians in Gaza. And I argue that means to back this, the plan, the leaked plan in regard to the Sinai Desert, which is exactly what seems to be happening, to drive them south and then drive them into Egypt. It says the spokesperson refused to comment. That's an important thing. When they deny something, that could still mean that it's true. But when they refuse to comment, that's usually a pretty good indication there's something there that they don't even know how to handle just yet. The uh, group Democracy for the Arab World Now, founded by slain journalist uh, Khashoggi, put out a recent statement um, charging that there's a grotesque hoax by the Biden administration, not just greenlighting, but bankrolling ethnic cleansing. Um, they specifically cite parts of the supplemental that the administration has sought that fund uh, the proposed uh, humanitarian aid to Palestinians who have been displaced from Gaza into neighboring countries. And they also highlight the fact that the Israeli government appears imminently planning uh, a permanent a move of per Palestinians permanently from Gaza to Egypt. And they cite uh, a leaked Israeli intelligence ministry report uh, along those lines. Only Sam brings this kind of stuff to the table, I'm telling you. And, and the other few that we point out. He's calling out something we've already talked about. But you've never, I mean, it's been a... I don't know how long we've been covering this and how rarely you see the things we talk about that rapidly get confronted in front of the State Department. I continue to get the feeling they're going to not let him back in at some point. He feels the same, I think. But ultimately, he's asking about the plan that we know is leaked, that definitely calls for this, that even they have said they want to accomplish. And what he's saying is the U.S. government is involved with funding, possibly where that $14 billion goes, giving Palestinians something to, to kind of drive them into Egypt, which has to have involved Egypt. I mean, even Jordan has something to say about this because I believe that involves the West Bank. And Jordan has made it very clear that if you displace the West Bank, that means war to them. But I think it may be, get, may be getting there anyway because of what they're currently doing to people in the West Bank, which is murder them, open, raging, roving groups of settlers just murdering and raping and pillaging. It's being reported by the corporate media. But back to this point, when asked him, are they funding this and is there legitimacy to this plan? So what do you have on that? I, um, I, I realized that earlier in your comments, you seemed to distance yourself from this notion. You said that it was Palestinian land uh, and that you were opposed to this, or that was the implication of your remarks. However, there, there it is. You're, you're asking for the money to do it. 
So let me just be be clear about a, 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 a couple things here, Sam. First, we continue to provide support to Palestinian refugees through the UN, through UNRWA. Uh, yeah, as those locations are bombed over and over and you guys don't even say anything about it, clearly you care about it. And the U.S. is going to also continue to support efforts for safe passage for civilians in Gaza. As those locations are bombed, as they go there and the crossing is bombed repeatedly, as Egypt has pointed out, and as they still refuse to allow people to go across. I mean, there's been limited allowances of people crossing, but they have still been holding people from, they won't let them cross. So this, this guy, just, it's just lot. And quite frankly, this guy's bad delivery, but he's lying like everybody else lies in that position. Safety. Uh, as it relates to our foreign policy, the U.S. does not support any forced relocation of Palestinians outside of Gaza. It is Yeah, clearly it does. It's not a policy we're pursuing. It is not something that uh, is, is on the table. So why are you asking for funding for it? I don't, I don't understand your this, question. This group, Democracy for the Arab World Now, founded by Khashoggi, says that you're asking for funding for new Palestinians, not just displaced from 48, not just displaced from 67, but displaced from this conflict from, from Gaza into Egypt and other neighboring countries. I think it's an open secret. So Israel has been attempting. We are not engaging in any situation in which Egyptian land would be leased. I've not seen that letter, uh, nor am I going to uh, get into the specifics of the uh, funding request to Congress from up here. But uh, forced relocation is not uh, is is not something that we are looking at, or is I, on the table, or a policy that we support. I'm, 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 I'm asking is not uh, is, is not something that we are looking at or is on the table or a policy that we support. I'm, 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 I'm asking you about your funding. Excuse me, Abadan, thank you. How long of a pause in the ceasefire does the State Department and President Biden uh, have in mind for Israel in a brief follow-up? We're not calling for a ceasefire. ceasefire. Okay. That's not policy we're pursuing. Okay, then following. Uh, why aren't uh, Secretary of State Blinken and President Biden asking Hamas and Hezbollah for a pause Hmm. That gets into some other interesting stuff about the idea. They clearly don't mean what they're saying. As somebody, I think I, I have included somewhere, as somebody clearly points out, why aren't they, why aren't they engaging with, I'll, I'll wait to get to it at a point. But the, the bottom line is here that we can see that they are engaging in this plan, as even WikiLeaks has confirmed is a legitimate document, which we now, almost every single bullet point of this plan is in effect and happening. And even as we literally watch it in real time, I just showed you the video of this procession of Palestinians being driven into another area. That Look, it doesn't matter whether it ends up being permanent. It does in, in one sense, but that is still a war crime now in this moment. So as they stand there and go, we don't support the displacement, too late, it's already happening. And you damn well know that. So this is just this game of equivalencies and semantics they play all the time. I mean, do you really think that kid even knows what's going on? I mean, the bottom line is these people are lying to us about everything that's happening. As Max Blumenthal points out, the Pentagon assesses Israel's child massacring operation in Gaza as a military failure, concluding that no important Hamas commanders have been eliminated and that it wouldn't matter much if they had been. Meanwhile, the U.S. continues to provide Israel with absurd advice. Like, this is how dumb this gets. Like, the need to use smaller bombs, seemingly ignorant that the Israeli military's entire strategy is based around the, the Haya Doctrine, which I'll show you again in a minute, of deliberately slaughtering civilians, which is a publicly, that's a doctrine of the Israeli military, as we talked about mowing the grass. I'll show you it on Wikipedia. In fact, it's right there. I mean, it's, it's blatant. We'll come back to it. 
It says this is deliberately slaughtering civilians and destroying civilian infrastructure in delusional hopes of demoralizing the political support base of Hamas. That's assuming that, that all of it, most of them even do support Hamas. I'm not even sure where I think that stands. I know that some of them do, but I've heard all sorts of different opinions on why they think that the Hamas isn't even the right representative. Like it, what my opinion would be that most of these Palestinians are very aware of how Hamas is perceived. And most of them just legitimately want equal application of international law and the hopes of self-determination. It's not about some religious theocratic direction. That's what Israel's doing as they pretend that's what it's just so blatant how minute. And then let's not forget that Hamas was created and used by Israel. That's exactly the point. Most of these groups that are created by the West as to represent the bad guy they claim they're fighting are the ones that embody the very thing they pretend that they're doing. It's interesting how that works. Uh, quote, often the wrong military means, like bombs that kill too many civilians. <laughs> How stupid that is. No, it's the indiscriminate bombing that doing that. As he points out in the article, actually, I think I've got it right here. It says, one senior U.S. official, the defense official who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive details, said the operations so far have come close, have not come close to destroying Hamas's senior and middle leadership ranks. Other U.S. officials said Hamas is not analogous to Al-Qaeda or Islamic State. Oops. Too bad. Like, think about that. Of course, they have to say it under anonymity because otherwise they'd get attacked by the Zionists in Israel. Because what, what's their main narrative to this? Hamas is ISIS. It's not, though. <laughs> it's a pretty dumb argument, actually, if you really understand it. Well, then you got people conflating the idea of Hamas as Nazis. It's like, well, wait a minute. Are Nazis and ISIS the same thing? Like, it's, it's just so blunt and, and, and undefined. And now U.S. officials are admitting what we all know, which is they're not the same thing. And he says, as a far deeper bench of experienced mid-level military leaders making it hard to assess the impact of killing an individual commander, the bottom line is we're being misled. And even though they just killed 400 plus people in the first bombing of the Jibli refugee camp, claiming they got a commander, it turns out that might not even have been the case. And I don't even think they care. Now, one of the points we should make sure we get into here is the idea of where they're bombing under the guise that it's all Hamas. So let's break that down in some specific talking points here. Israel milit Israeli military says Hamas hiding in tunnels, right? So how would we ever get to prove that? Wouldn't it be interesting if at some point somebody goes back through this war-torn destruction and proves that they're, they're, not, they're not tunnels under every one of these destroyed buildings? You know how easy that would be? That's probably why this will, as long as Israel's indefinitely in control of the area, will never be allowed to happen. Well, here's my point, though. They're talking about any hospitals they bomb or any mosques or any anywhere, everything. Oh, Hamas, no matter what. That's the argument, right? But let's not forget that there are people who are there still to this very moment. One of them being Abu Sita, who is at Ghassan Abu Sita. He is in Al-Shifa Hospital right now. As they just bombed the, the literal roof of that building and continue to bomb everywhere in the north and the south, for that matter, he's still there. And you know what he's telling you? Along with pretty much three or four other doctors that I've, that I've reported on that are not from Gaza, that are there helping, that say the same thing. There is no Hamas here. Now, this is reported from Dawn, Democracy for the Arab World Now. And it says, earlier this month, British-Palestinian surgeon, and by the way, this has been reported by many number of Western mainstream outlets. This one just had a great interview with him. He's a British-Palestinian surgeon, once again, left his home from London to go help Palestinians. As he points out, and this is just some important questions they ask. What have you seen yourself regarding Israeli airstrikes on hospitals or other places where so many civilians are sheltering? He says, I was at the Ali Baptist Hospital when it was attacked and the missile landed right in the middle of the courtyard. 
which, by the way, was an Israeli airstrike. It's a, a provable fact. Killing families that were sheltering in that courtyard. That's when they tried to, once they got exposed that it was an Israeli bombing, they tried to immediately shift into, no, it was just the parking lot. And they lied about the building. Well, nobody said the building was destroyed necessarily. We said that they bombed a hospital. And all those people that were in there were killed. And people like Eli David tried to pretend it didn't happen. That's how gross these people are. The hospital had been receiving threats from the Israelis all week. That's the point we kept trying to make. So they're going, we're going to bomb it. We're going to bomb it. We're going to bomb it. And then it gets bombed. They go, Hamas did it. <laughs> I just, that's how really ridiculous this has become. Saying that they were going to do this, that they were going to bomb it, and then they bombed it. And again, they have, remember, the point was the doctors there were getting text messages that literally said, we're going to bomb this, and if you stay, you're terrorists. And then when it happened, even one of the IDF members came out and said, we bombed it because Hamas was there, then deleted that, and then put up something else. More so like an intelligence guy. But the, your government just knows this and doesn't care. He goes on to say, can you elaborate on those Israeli threats and their impact on people sheltering in those hospitals? says, basically, there's just no possibility of evacuating any of the hospitals. That's important. That's what That means they're going to bomb those people, even though they know that they can't leave or don't care. says, first, it's a war crime to even target hospitals. That means whether or not Hamas is utilizing them, understand, and threatening to do it, to evacuate people. It does not make it less than a crime. It's just not possible. Shifa Hospital has around 1,700 critically wounded people. This was like last week or week and a half ago. Plenty more than that. And that's just the critically wounded, understand. There's thousands of people sheltering, as they'll tell you. What are we going to do with them? He says, where are we going to take them? We are looking for days at the for the hospital to run out of fuel. If it does, and it has already since then, then effectively the hospital becomes a mass grave. We have 150 patients on ventilators. How are they supposed to flee? You have a, ne a neonatal intensive care there are babies in ventilators. You have anesthetic machines that can no longer work due to, to do the surgeries. Without electricity, this is just a mass grave. The Israelis say that they bomb military targets and claim that Hamas uses civilians as human shields. From your first and experience, what should the world know about such claims? He says there is no such thing. I mean, 1,600 human shields are now wounded and another 6,000 human shields are now dead. Even uh, countenancing this kind of rubbish, I remember the same discourse around 1982 when the Israelis doing the same thing to Beirut when they besieged it, that they were only targeting PLO fighters. And the problem in the West laps it up because the West is complicit in this murder. The idea that somehow these amazing bombs are just targeting Hamas and that these are the kinds of super evil individuals who are hiding behind civilians, it's just for people who heard it back in 1982, it's just the same tired argument and justification for murder. Now you can believe them or not. I genuinely think this is the reality based on the facts on the ground and numerous other doctors that are there. Now you can look through his reports and he's telling you while he's still there that they're, that they're staying, they can't leave. You know, he, he's treating people with white phosphorus burns. I mean, this is on corporate media. I believe this is BBC. My point is everyone is hearing this now. They can't hide this anymore. The scale of carnage is reshaping Palestinian society as we speak. Middle-aged grandparents caring for the orphan toddlers of their slain children. It's horrifying. Oh, excuse me. That was uh, Channel 4 News. Israel just hit the solar panels. He's reporting this on the 6th. He's there. Israel just hit the solar panels. Anyway, it's follow what he's talking about, guys. I mean, some horrifying stuff from last night's bombing of the beach camp. His children's laying on the floor being treated because they don't have anything to treat them with. 500 bodies brought to Shifa last night from the bombing of the beach camp. It's just so disgusting what people are lying about right now. Now, here's an important clip from Abby Martin that I wanted you to hear. Did some of the best work around this topic, in my opinion. 
The term human shield, she writes, is nothing more than a racist lie that's been used by the U.S. throughout history to justify the mass slaughter of innocent civilians. And it does not mean that you can't have an example of somebody using somebody in the context of war. The point is they use this argument to kill innocent people whether or not that's happening. That's the main point here. And we can prove this in previous fields of war in the past. And right now, I know we can prove this using the United Nations, using the Amnesty International reports, using people on the ground, using anybody with a brain that can see how obvious this is. Human shield is nothing more than a racist veil that makes the dehumanizing assertion that Palestinian culture encourages the death of its children. A more rational explanation is that there's nowhere to flee in one of the most densely populated places on Earth, and that every single civilian location is considered fair game to be bombed. However, because of this propaganda tactic, the constant and indiscriminate bloodshed in Gaza isn't seen as criminal or deliberate by the majority of people. But this is a learned tactic. The term human shield has been the empire's favorite excuse to justify mass slaughter in its wars of conquest. In Libya, the year prior to the US-NATO bombing campaign, the human shield talking point was used ad nauseum. In the lead up to the Iraq war, the Bush administration included the human shield talking point as a main tenant of his campaign to oust Saddam. Journalist Robbie Martin uncovered entire CIA reports dedicated to Saddam's devaluation of life through the use of human shields. Bush even preemptively tried to justify the enormous civilian death toll he knew was to come with the invasion by declaring the former Iraqi dictator plans to, quote, shield his military and blame coalition forces for civilian casualties that he has caused. I guess there were a million human shields in Iraq. Right, because are we going to pretend the 500,000 children that they then said was worth it? Or human shields? Well, no. We now know that they were lying about that. But you can see this throughout any... I mean, this is, the, this is how easy it is to look at this history and understand that we're always fed the same lines. I mean, I've never... I never... I do my best to never make it as binary and simple as good and evil. But my God, if you need to recognize in any case who the... If there is a bad guy, it is people that act just like that. Now, my opinion is that any one of these governments on any of these sides are all actively or if given the kind of power any of these people have would probably act in the same way. I think that about most any I think government is the main problem in general, but that's too much for some people. The idea that this is something that we've been lied to about is a verifiable fact. And we've seen this in every single circumstance. And we've seen, I mean, just taking anything like look at what happened in Ukraine. Right. Look at the lead up to any one of these arguments. Jake Shields points out. Hamas has now requested that the United Nations come and inspect their hospitals to prove Hamas is not operating in them. Now, of course, you could argue that's just some well-thought-out manipulation, but as the data and the information and the on-the-ground video and everything else and human rights group, everything begins to build up, it begins to seem very clear that this is a narrative being spun to justify what's happening. As you've got doctors telling you it's not happening, as you've got the reports from Amnesty telling you they're bombing directly civilian locations. Now Hamas is going, look, come in and look for yourself. If true, Israel's targeting hospitals simply to inspire fear and terror, he writes. This person points out the same thing, saying that they, they spoke on the condition of anonymity, saying that they have not even come close to, but so the argument is, well, they didn't kill any commanders. So then it's not really what they're doing. Now, this is from TASS News Agency. Hamas calls on UN chief to set up international committee to inspect hospitals. You know, you know why I'm showing you this from the TASS News Agency? Because not a single Western outlet even chose to cover it. 
that's very telling in and of itself. Whether it's a lie or not, it's a purportable fact that Hamas is calling for the United Nations, which the Israel will never allow in. And I'll show you why. Before we get there, Eva Bartlett has always been doing great work on this exact topic going back decades. But she writes, it's absolutely infuriating that in broad daylight, the murderous Israeli regime can repeatedly bomb Gaza's main hospitals, filled with thousands of patients and housing tens of thousands of Palestinians who fled Israeli bombing elsewhere in the tiny strip. This is about Al-Shifa. Al Al if this was any entity other than the criminal Israelis, the so-called international community would cry bloody murder. The hypocrisy is staggering, even to her, she says, well aware of how hypocritical the West is. I agree with that. When it came to the Syria, when it came to Syria, Western corporate-owned media and talking heads accused Syria and Russia of bombing hospitals, and ignored when terrorists actually did bomb and destroy working hospitals. It's just in, in this inversion. It's it's projection is what it really ends up being. The above article includes my going into Aleppo hospital. Media claimed was reduced to rubble and destroyed. It wasn't. We I think I interviewed about this when it happened. Others that were full-on HQs for Al-Qaeda, even ISIS, and a main hospital in Dara, which was bombed by terrorists. But tell me more, armchair trolls. Right? It's just, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable. Watch all the videos. She breaks this stuff down. Hospitals bombed, media yawns. It's just gross. These people don't care about human life. Now, here's a couple of videos that I thought were important to see. Now, this one is just, it's, I got to be honest, it really did shake me. For, this, there's something about this video I think is important. And it's because of what you're about. It's not graphic necessarily, but you'll see what I mean when you watch it. This is what's happening. And the reality is there are innocent people who are not only being killed, not only being buried, but in many cases, not even being rescued, that are being buried and that sit under the rubble and starve to death. Now, I'm sorry to make it so, so it, that's a hard thing to think about. But recognize that there, even if you think Hamas is involved, this is still being done to innocent civilians. And this is an example of a child who is being dug out. And I hope to God they got him out in time for him to be alive. But you can see that he still is as they are trying to dig him out. Actually, hold on a second. I just, I don't think I downloaded it because it was small, but I think it's important to see this as clear as possible. Now, my point in this, is that this is, remember, uh, just in that last example we just told you, the 450 bombing locations just in that last time frame. So think about the last 30 days. <laughs> Come on, man. Hold on a second. I don't know why this won't work now. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this one first. Work this out as we get to it. So as Sarah Wilkinson points out, dear God, what do these little Palestinian children do to deserve this? What, who, who on this planet could do this to another person? Yeah. <laughs> 
God. Not only is that just really unnerving and hard to watch, I'm getting about ready to punch a hole in the wall because the, for whatever reason, Twitter is not allowing this to be downloaded. Let that speak to the insanity that we're watching in regard to what's going on. Ah, it makes me so angry. This is what I was trying to show you with, through the video, but now you won't be able to hear it because it's not allowing me to download it. Here's what you're looking at. I don't know why this is bothering me so much. Sometimes this stuff just gets to me. I don't, I just, it's more so about the fact that I feel like they're trying to suppress this video from being seen and it's not being, it won't allow me to download it like every other thing in the last however long I've been doing this. It makes me just really want to just because. Give me a second. Let's see if we can't grab this somewhere else. Not like it matters, I and mean, you guys already saw it, but I think it's important that, yeah, <laughs> it's just mind-blowing to me. While we were playing it, by the way, I tried two other videos, and both of them worked, and this one just won't. I'm telling you, this is what I think we get into in the beginning of this, that there's there's action being taken right now against sources of information, certain context. My point in showing you this is that that child is trying to dig while they're trying to help him out. And it just is so hard to see that and understand that this is what's happening to these people. No matter what else you think is happening. As UNRWA points out, the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, on average, a child is killed and two are injured every 10 minutes. Right now. Every 10 minutes, two more children are being killed. Not on both sides, in Palestine, in Gaza. Every two minutes. Protecting civilians in times of conflict is not an aspiration or an ideal. It is an obligation and the commitment to our shared humanity. Civilians, wherever they are, must be protected. But I guess Israel gets a pass on that, apparently, according to your government. Now, I already showed you this. The Palestinian death toll, and this is well over 10,000 now, but the point was, on the third, 62% of these people, according to the UN, who have been killed are women and children. 62%. Now that we're over 4,000 children and 10,000 people, it's more than 62%. It just needs to show you this is not doing your best to avoid civilian casualties. That's, in fact, to me, that's aiming at civilians. Sarah Abdallah points out that not only the things we just discussed, but they're bombing the third floor of Gaza's Rat uh, Ratisi Pediatric Hospital. 
Yes, a medical center for children alone. Is there any hospital left in Gaza that Israel hasn't bombed? Now, we just talked about this in general. You can watch the show if you'd like, 62%. That they're also using white phosphorus on a UN school. And still the international community, or rather the governments don't care. Now, UNRWA has also pointed out just in the last 24 hours, and this was up to the 6th. So who knows how many more have been killed in the last 24 hours. Five of their colleagues have been killed. On top of the 89 in one month that have been killed, 89 members of the United Nations staff have been killed in one month. And Biden can barely even talk about the conversation. They haven't even mentioned this as they'll even reference UN locations for people to go. And then they bomb those locations. 50, at least last time I checked, of their buildings have been bombed. Unra points out for one month, people across the Gaza Strip, excuse me, people across the Gaza Strip have been denied aid, killed, bombed out of their homes. Daily struggles to find bread and water. Blackouts cut people off from their loved ones the rest of the world. This is forced displacement and humanitarian tragedy of colossal proportions. That's why Israel lost control of this. Because apparently they thought that everybody else hated Palestinians as much as they did. Now, Cuts News Network has reported Israel forces have arrested journalist Sumaya uh, Jawabe from Al-Farah's refugee camp in the West Bank. Right, where Hamas is not. Where it's clearly an attack on Palestinians. She's a mother of three children and is pregnant in her seventh month. I'm willing to bet you that she never leaves that prison cell. Now, Sarah Abdallah points out on top of that, Israel just murdered another Palestinian journalist. Muhammad al-Jaha, I believe, Jaja Jaha, who they massacred along with his entire family, a wife and two daughters, all Palestinian members, according to Israel. They've now killed 47 journalists in 29 days. That's what's happening. And if you think, all oh, Hamas members, or they're all being held, they were all human shields, well, everybody disagrees. Even from, I mean, every corporate news outlet, but this is the, the from the Committee to Protect Journalists. This is the most dangerous conflict for journalists that they have ever documented. At the level of danger for journalists operating in Gaza right now. The level of danger for journalists operating in Gaza right now is absolutely unprecedented. This is the most dangerous conflict for journalists that the Committee to Protect Journalists has ever documented. And we've been recording and documenting attacks against journalists for more than 30 years. Don't miss that framing. Attacks against journalists. This has shifted. The most mainstream of, court, of organizations at this point are knowingly calling out Israel for targeting civilians and targeting journalists and targeting medics. That's what's happening because that's the reality. 36 journalists have been killed in the past four weeks. And to put that in kind of context for you, last year we uh, documented 68 journalists and media workers killed worldwide over the space of 12 months and 36 wow. have died just in four weeks. My God. And this again is why they've lost control. I, I mean, I just it's just so staggeringly obvious. Everybody sees it. They've, 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 50% of the year total they've committed in one month. As Sarah Abdallah also reports, they bombed and destroyed 15 fishing boats in Rafa, southern Gaza. Now that may seem small in comparison, but realize this is one of the last abilities to actually feed themselves. 
Israel is deliberately starving the civilian population. Yeah, very obvious. We also have, as Destiny Resendez points out, Reporters Without Borders has asked the International Criminal Court to, in The Hague to investigate the killing of nine journalists in particular, eight Palestinians and one Israeli. And you know why that happened? Because they were reporting fairly on the whole situation. This is from uh, this is one of the same group. It's saying Reporters uh, Without Borders reporting the complaint with the ICC for war crimes targeting journalists. You see how quickly this has shifted? And every, you know what they do? The Israeli government in every circumstance? Racist. Anti-Semites. And, you know, it, it, it's, that's all they can do. And they're not, it's not working because you can't claim that every one of the groups that acknowledges your crimes are just simply racist. It used to work when all you were doing was attacking a couple of small content creators, but now you're calling the United Nations. I mean, every group everywhere. Now, some of them might, who knows? But you making that allegation is only exposing your hand. The, the real hand, that you've used that to hide your crimes. Now, Brett Weinstein makes an interesting point that I thought was important in all this. Because what's the real point here, right? Human shields, hospitals, Hamas. It's Hamas's fault. As even Netanyahu literally just clumsily said again. That's because of them. No matter what happens going forward, it's Hamas's fault. Just that's, that is the classic Bethlehem doctrine, U.S. government. I mean, Pompeo was always about this, right? Remember, he said it to Iran. Your people will starve if you don't do what we want. But it's your fault, right? It's your fault your people are starving because you didn't do what we wanted you to do. This is the same thing. It's literally, and again, the actions of Hamas to begin this, the crimes that were committed after their legally uh, protected under the Geneva Convention's action of armed rebellion, which is what it was, the crimes against civilians were crimes. But that does not change the bigger dynamic of this, that you continue to bomb civilian locations because you are bombing them. Many, including UN locations, and as Amnesty proved, other civilian locations that have not even, that you know don't have Hamas in them. Okay, so the point is, the argument that it's all Hamas's fault is obviously ridiculous. But then, even if they're there, does that then make it a legal military target? Well, no. As we've always understood, again, and I've said many times, why collective punishment was even initiated as a concept was for peace of things just like this. So when Brett Weinstein steps in and says, if you support Hamas, you are not against genocide. It just shows you how even, as I, I find him to be an intelligent person, how even, whether, you know, maybe that shows that he's just dishonest. Maybe it shows that he has lost his objectivity when it comes to this topic. But the point is, that's a very broad stroke statement. You're telling me there's no other middle ground there? That you can't have people that support Hamas, but don't realize what they are? Or that also support the extreme actions of Hamas, but also just don't agree with genocide? Like, it's a dumb statement. It really is. And it, it, to me, it's about trying to act like there is no caring for two sides here. Now, Kim Iverson responds, says, I don't think many people support Hamas. I agree with that. That's what I'm trying to say in general. But nonetheless, unlike Israel, Hamas doesn't have the power to commit genocide, even if they want to. That's definitely relevant. But he says, you're simply wrong, Kim. Most are smart enough not to admit it at this, at this point. So starts off insulting her intelligence. But there was a lot of celebration after October 7th. Yes, but see, there's a, this is a more conflation. I guarantee, and I can, and I did show you some, there were people that were praising the hurting of civilians. Most of them under the argument that, you know, oppression and occupation, and they supported it. But that's the same thing you see people like Eli David or Netanyahu doing, or Dershowitz. Well, they voted for Hamas, and they know what they're supporting, so therefore all guilty. That's just a dumb argument, no matter who you're doing it to, because that's not a fair argument. 
But again, there were people that were going, yay, they hurt people. But most of these people were simply arguing that this was a foregone conclusion that, or as I think it was um, Jimmy Dore framed it as, you know, the slave revolt. Like when you keep people in a cage and they break out and kill you, that's, I mean, ultimately it's hard to frame that as the slave's fault, right? And that's the, that is a fair argument. I think that's an oversimplification though. So the point to say that a lot of people celebrated, that's like saying everybody that supports Palestine is a terrorist supporting Hamas member. That's the same kind of conflation. But he goes, and before Israel had moved on Gaza. And again, that's, that's the point I'm making. And it says, there is a great deal of hatred of Jews and the woke in the, on the woke left. I mean, I, I don't agree with that. I feel like they themselves are like aghast by that accusation. I'm sure some of them do. But the point is what you're actually conflating is their support for Palestine self-determination with the hatred of Jews. And that's just a clumsy argument for someone who I do think is intelligent. And on the woke, and it says the same failure of nuance that they exhibit across all topics. Okay, well, now he's just left bad guy, which I find nobody can respect. You're stuck in the left right paradigm, then you're lost, in my opinion. But he said, she goes, Brett, they literally don't have the capability to commit a genocide against Jews. It's not within their capacity. That's a fact. And again, the, the argument or the suggestion that they might have nuclear weapons or anything else, guys, that's that's just wholesale not true. It's it's not. It's, and I quite frankly think that's a wildly unfair argument. But the point is, you could prove that they may have more capability than they are demonstrating and are holding that back. But by no means are they anywhere near the kind of technological advances that the U.S. is giving them or that Israel already has. It's just an easy fact to make clear. But it says they can inflict a serious massacre like they did on October 7th, but to commit a genocide of an entire group, you need a large military, infrastructure, external support, etc. Hamas rides around in old pickups and have homemade rockets. They cannot encircle Israel or blockade nor occupy. It's literally impossible for them to commit genocide. They simply don't have the actual force or equipment to pull it off. He says, how is that relevant? They desire genocide. Again, I just don't know why smart. So every Hamas, well, that's not true though. And she'll address this, but it's just a, it's a broad stroke statement. Like, even if we're talking about something like Al Qaeda, I still wouldn't argue that everybody in that group has the exact same mindset because that's just dumb. We all have to be honest about that. Broad strokes are dumb anywhere, but it says they take pride in torturing Jews, including children. They have triggered events with genocidal potential and people cheer them as if this was a video game. You mean just like people are cheering the bombing of civilians in Gaza like it's a video game? Yeah, all of them should be called out for it. That's the point we're trying to make here. But he says it's she said it's relevant because it's fear rooted in fantasy, which then goes on to be used to justify killing people that they do have the capacity to do. That's what she's saying. There's no way Hamas is ever going to have the capacity to wipe out all Jews or wipe out all of Israel or even gain a shred of land back for the Palestinian people. It's not happening. I agree with that. Not only not that we shouldn't want that, but they're not they're not going to let that happen. Not only that, but they don't say this is their goal. And this is so important. They don't say that. I, I recently covered this. Their stated position is our conflict is with the occupation, which is occupying our land and sullying our holy sites, not with Jews around the world or Judaism as religion. That's actually stated in their charter. All these people like Brett either don't know that, which and which means they're citing that charter without ever having looked at it. Or they know they're misrepresenting it. There's only really two ways they can do that. And or they think, or I guess they could add third that they think they're lying about it, but that's not what he's putting forward. So that's really dishonest. I mean, think of the idea that they and this is like the whole uh death to America thing where they go, oh, they hate you and hate your freedom. No, they've made clear for dis decades that they're talking about you, government, and that's what makes you uncomfortable. But as she says, if you're seeing conflation of Jews with Israel. It's because so many in power and influence conflate Israel with Jews. 
Yes, but I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing, she says, is a lot of conflating freedom for Palestinians as hate for Jews. Okay, that's a checkmate right there. I mean, and of course, yeah, he didn't respond. That's a dunk. You're done. You lost an argument. Because the bottom line is, I think he, maybe he did realize that he was broad stroking. I don't know. But what do you, to argue that support for Palestine equals hate for Jews is just clumsy and it doesn't work anymore. Again, you, you could find an overlap to some degree, but you can't broad stroke everybody out there just calling for self-determination. Nobody buys that anymore because it was never truly honest. They've always been trying. And again, what that actually does, as many have pointed out and called racist for, is actually hide the true hatred. It hides the true racism. You're conflating anybody who just cares about Palestinians to be racist. Therefore, the true racists fall into the way where you don't find it. You don't see it. And that actually hurts the people that are being, whether it's Jews in that case or anybody, who would then be hurt by those racists. See, they don't really care about these things. That's what we're always trying to show you. Now, my point to him was just to call out the illogical stance here. As I said, in response to him, if you support Hamas, you're not against genocide. I said, well, if I said, if you support the U.S. military, you don't support freedom. Would you say that's a fair statement? Or would you argue it's a broad stroke oversimplification, seeing as how many who do support the U.S. military do believe incorrectly that is what they fight for, right? That's, that's I think that's an important point. Because there's people that believe in the U.S. military that don't realize that they're not doing that. Or there are people that do support the U.S. military because they have a belief that that's what they should do and recognize they're breaking the law, but then also still support freedom. Like, he just can't do what he's doing right there. It's just, it's ignorant. Now, on the point of Hamas, which of course is important and something that doesn't get included in his analogy about the binary black-white Hamas or not kind of concept, is that this is another article written on October 20th by Haaretz. And I've already showed you this, by the way. A Brief History of Netanyahu-Hamas Alliance. I'm just going to show you the, the subtitle, because we've already read this article on the show. For 14 years, Netanyahu's policy was to keep Hamas in power. The pogrom of October 7th helps the Israeli prime minister preserve his own rule. This is what I'm trying to show you about what Israelis, to the point of their own corporate media at the highest level, almost insinuating that he let this happen. And yet we're being called Jew-hating Nazis for even suggesting that, while seemingly a huge portion of the Israeli population, Jews included, are literally calling this out. It just shows you that we, this, this is a worldwide manipulation that has clearly been seen by most of the population and the governments that are towing this line are terrified by that. That's what I think. Now, on the point of minimizing casualties, because let's not forget, they literally just shoved this in your face, as Kirby really just said, it's obvious to us. He lost it when he said that, because they, you know, they always try to play this game, but obvious to us means that you've seen something. Israel's trying to minimize civilian casualties. They're all complicit, but that literally makes Kirby complicit in genocide, right? You're hiding the fact that you know that they're not. So let's get into this point. Now, I had something written down. Let me check this really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think I've already made this point in general. I mean, the idea he's saying, you know, it's obvious to us that they're doing their best, which is such a flimsy thing to say in the first place, to minimize, which means they're killing civilians. It, it, they're, they're whitewashing open crimes. But then to say that they, and this was the point, that they told them to leave, right? So they, they dumped a bunch of leaflets on the hospital or anywhere else, or sent a text message or told one person in the street, as Amnesty found happened. 
They told one person in the street of an entire block, we're going to bomb this soon, so you better get out of the way, and then bombed it within like an hour and killed everybody there. That's amnesty proving that. So they clearly don't care. My point is, though, let's just pretend they dropped leaflets the entire area. The point is, they claim, and they've said this publicly, we told them to leave, right? And that if they stay, they're either terrorists or terrorist supporters. Okay, so if it's obvious to you that they're trying to minimize casualties, but then they bomb locations and they know they're killing civilians that they already deemed terrorists, and then when those people die, you claim that they did their best to avoid those people or that they are deeming them all terrorists, therefore they kind of box out the possibility that they were even there. You know, the whole Obama, that they are armed combatants if they're where we're bombing, right? It's the same thing. So I just think that's such a blatant manipulation. So when he says that they are obviously to, to them that they're minimizing it, it's just a word game. Because you can't call them terrorists by default if they don't leave when they're in a ventilator or an incubator or their legs are blown off, or they're pregnant, or on and on and on, because they literally can't leave, as the doctor just told you, then bomb the location and say they're all terrorists because they didn't leave. And then have Kirby pretend that that means they're minimizing casualties. They all see this stuff. And let's not forget the endless amount of information where their own people are saying exactly what they tell you they don't want to do. Far-right minister from, this is Times of Israel reporting this as of the 5th, he says, nuking Gaza is an option. <laughs> Oops. You mean with the weapons that you don't have? We all know they've got nuclear weapons, but it's such an obvious taboo whenever it comes up. Netanyahu famously mentions it in a meeting and then smirks like an idiot because he knows he admitted they have nukes and then tries to pretend like he said the wrong word. Obviously, they have nukes, and we all know that. They even gave a term. They call it nuclear ambiguity. It's embarrassing. The point is they don't have to operate within the rules like anybody else does, like as if there actually are rules, but I get that. I'm saying that that's what they pretend. But then he says, so nuking is an option, which is genocidal. But then he goes, population should go to Ireland or deserts. Yeah, let's throw in Ireland for good measure because clearly we're going to take them to the Sinai Desert and we all know that. That's what this is. Now, what's interesting is, one, they admit that they have nukes and we all know that. But two, that this is actually what they're talking about. Nukes are an option. But I guess he wasn't supposed to say that, and that's why they got rid of him all of a sudden, which happened almost immediately. Israel minister suspended after calling nuke in Gaza. Really? I mean, this is just meant to make it look like, no, he's the bad one. It might have even been deliberate. I don't know. He's the one with the extreme ideas. Get him out of here! As they literally all think the same thing. It's, it's incredible. And I mean the Zionist government. And the point here is that we also have the same thing in Ukraine. Same thing going on. Like where Zelensky goes after the corruption, <laughs> fires, you know, which by the way happened like last couple, how many months ago, where he got rid of like seven or eight people in the highest level of the power. And yet they've been using that money for years and we're not supposed to acknowledge that they just got rid of corrupt people. This is such a blatant game. That's not real is my point. Now, Ben Shapiro, as we have to talk about Ben Shapiro because he's ridiculous, the goal of the legacy media, he says on the 6th, and political leftists and Hamas is to lie about Israel's military strategy in order to create retroactive moral equivalence with Hamas's mass murder of civilians. That's why Hamas is trying to get Palestinians killed. This is unreal. I mean, you guys can see, I mean, even his own audience, and it's, he's, he's getting ratioed on almost everything he's doing. The point is what he's trying to pretend is that everybody simply acknowledging the death of civilians in Gaza are all part of some big organized effort to create moral equivalence. Now, look, Ben, we don't need to do that. A child could see the balance on this and recognize 
whether or not you've got numbers from the Ministry of Gaza to see how obviously one-sided this is. That's even acknowledging how horrible it was that civilians got hurt, whether or not the IDF killed them, by the way, which you'll never acknowledge in on October 7th. It's, it's, there's not an equivalence. That's the point. 10,000 people, even if it was actually 1,400 civilians, is still obviously not equivalent. And he says that's why Hamas wants to get them killed. Did, they, did Hamas bomb the UN locations, Ben? Did Hamas bomb the hospitals that we can prove weren't full of Hamas or the five locations Amnesty proved were not proved? You'll never talk about this, right? Or you'll call them racist or whatever narrative you spin up. But here's what Scott Ritter says. Please tell me more about the lie that is the Dahaya doctrine, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. What's more disgusting is that while Israel admits this is a doctrine and it's implemented, Ignorant shills like yourself, good for you, Scott, continue to promulgate the myth of the most moral military in the world. And this is, look, Scott Ritter already talked about this, but just before you see that, this is the kind of thing. So as they have this doctrine, even on Wikipedia, the, I think it's a, uh, oh, there's no, that's weird. There's no phonic spelling. I think it's the Dahaya doctrine is a military strategy of asymmetric warfare outlined by the IDF, former, this is the former chief that put it into effect, Gadi Azakot which encompasses the destruction of the civilian infrastructure of regimes deemed to be hostile as a measure calculated to deny combatants the use of infrastructure and endorses the employment of disproportionate force to secure that end. Guys, that is documented war criminal activity. They have literally put into effect in public display war crimes. That's collective punishment. That's bombing to protected locations. They, that's bombing hospitals to stop them from being able to help themselves. That's what that is. Even if you think that's aimed at stopping Hamas, you're willfully breaking international law. And apparently nobody can, nobody can do anything about it. Shows you the kind of influence the Zionist entity has. Now here yet again is Scott Ritter explaining how horrific this is. Israel has implemented a policy. The English language, it's, it's mowing the grass. Dahiwa is the, the policy that the Israelis have put on it. Mowing the grass, what does that mean? It sounds nice. It sounds copacetic, mowing the grass. It means mowing the people, mowing the Palestinian people, mowing the children of Palestine, mowing the women of China. And when I say mow, I mean kill. I mean murdering them, knocking them down like, a, like, like you would grass at harvest. Mowing the grass. It's Israel's policy of disproportionate force. It's Israel's policy of deliberately targeting civilian populations to crush the will to resist. It is by definition a war crime. You are not allowed to deliberately target civilian populations. International humanitarian law has made this clear. And yet Israel not only does it, but acknowledges it as its official policy and the world is silent. The world is silent. Nobody speaks out about this. Nobody has spoken out about it. It's allowed to happen because that's the way it is. I hate that TikTok thing at the end of those. I got to cut those out. But that's, I mean, this is how ridiculous it's gotten where you have such provable information or, or things like this, for example. I'm glad somebody, and there's more than just these eight examples, but I'm glad somebody put this together. We've shown you every one of these and more just from the beginning of this process, from the attack in regard to Israel and then the ongoing genocide that followed. This is, these are all for the podcast. They're examples of leaders in the Israeli 
both in the, well, one of them is a reservist, but most of them are leaders in the Israeli government. One of them is the oldest living reservist, who I'll show you in a second, literally comes from the origin of the Ergun-Lehi overlap party, which tried to align itself with the Nazi Germany twice and Stalin once. And that's what this all comes from. But his point is he, every one of these are calling out the absolute destruction of all of Palestine. As he says, we will turn Gaza into an island of ruins. We are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is not destruction. It is accuracy. Or excuse me, of course I say it backwards. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. That was reported by The Guardian. Hold on. Just in case, because I said it wrong, I'll include this too. Well, I love that I can remember these sometimes. Emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. Direct quote from one of the highest members of the Israeli military, uh, Daniel Hagari. Now there is only one goal, Nakba. That means ethnic, that's ethnic cleansing. Every one of these guys. So my point again, every one of them are telling you we're going to destroy all of them. And, and as the president of Israel said, there's no one innocent there. So we're supposed to pretend that they're telling us there's nobody innocent. That if they remain where they're not supposed to be, they're all terrorists. But then yet when they bomb, they're still trying to avoid them. Who actually buys this stuff? This is genocide. And they're hiding all of this. Adam Johnson points out, well, first of all, the Guardian says pro-Palestine rallies aren't hate marches, which is true. This is my point about how the how obvious this has gotten so ridiculous that even these corporate outlets are pulling back and now they're finding themselves in alignment with what we've been saying. They're an expression of solidarity, helplessness, and frustration. As he writes, more Palestinian kids have been killed by Israel in 30 days than U.S. soldiers were killed in the first five years of the Iraq war. And people politely asking their government not to support this have to wake up every day to defend themselves from the most bad faith, racist, fake outrages on earth. Hard to disagree with that. The absurdity of how people, and again, only all he's saying is people who care that Palestinian kids are being killed. That's all he's saying. Or that Palestine marches aren't all Hamas forward. And yet you get over the top kind of stuff. Well, here is a good example of how this is being played. Now, this is Israel, their main account, saying these two beautiful girls, who, if they are actually being held by Hamas, I hope that they get returned. They shouldn't be holding them because that's a horrific reality, despite the fact that they, this, their demonstrations show that they're not mistreating people and the people they've released have claimed they're not being mistreated. Of course, that's all we have to go on other than Israel saying something. So at this point, it seems like they're not mistreating the hostages, but I don't know. All I'm saying is if these children are actually being held, that's that's terrible. It's grotesque, and it shouldn't be allowed because they're innocent. They're civilians, no matter where they're born. My point, though, is I'm starting to question a lot of this stuff just because a lot of the evidence doesn't seem to line up. And, and even, well, again, I've already made these points, but here they're putting this forward, saying these two beautiful girls are being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. Bring them home. But Yasal points out something that I'm saying, and this is the only reason I'm bringing this up. He says, I get now why you refuse to receive your hostages. You'd run out of content. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about, my point is, yes, they should have been. The fact that the children like this ever get taken or have gotten taken is never acceptable. But what we should acknowledge is that they've already refused taking those two girls back. Or all of them, but to make it more personal. They're saying, these two beautiful young girls, bring them back now to their families. Well, twice now you've refused them. So I'd like to, I'd love for you to explain that, Israel. As, here, as I've shown you before, the 200 plus empty beds 
even though, as I showed you before, it's such a propaganda aspect because every one of them are cribs and children's beds, even though they're not claiming all 200 are children. But it's just, the point is, it's just about trying to, you know, you're trying, it's propaganda. Even if there are people being held, you're lying about it, even in your propaganda. But it says empty beds and cribs and so on. Give, bring these people home is the point. And I simply said, does it matter that Israel has twice refused a hostage exchange? Simple question. Do you think that matters? The last one that was only asking for water, food, and fuel for only for civilians, even allowing the UN to manage it to ensure none went to Hamas. Does that matter to you? It should. To me, this shows that they care more about the agenda than the prisoners. And I said, but they'll sure as hell use the idea of those, like those two girls, that they've twice refused to rescue to progress the agenda. All by making you think the agenda is about rescuing the prisoners. When in reality, the agenda is what's actually killing those prisoners as they indiscriminately continue to bomb where they're held. Now, for those that don't see this or haven't seen this, I'll show you right here. Twice, Israel has refused an exchange of hostages. Yet now, they're pretending this has never been offered and is now the only thing they will accept. Here is a, one of the examples, Washington Post, where I've shown you before, that Hamas was proposing to release all the foreign civilian hostages in exchange for a five-day ceasefire. That was one of the options. Even then, it was refused. Israel's civilian hostages would be released if additional demands were met, which was bringing in food and supplies. And they said, we'll even ensure that UN mediates to make sure we don't get any of it. We're ready to let them all leave. They said no. Now, for the person that responded earlier and said, but this is, Hamas says, that's not true. Well, that's fair enough. But the point was that it was publicly refused. You can't pretend Hamas didn't offer it when Netanyahu stands up and goes, no, we won't accept that because they will blah, blah, blah. We won't deal with terrorists or whatever. That, we already covered this. So if it's been publicly refused twice and the mainstream media has covered it twice, they've refused an exchange we just read to you twice. Think about how important that is. Now, this is as of today, or actually uh, the third, excuse me, so recent. And this is the same thing we're reading today. Netanyahu explicitly rejected calls, uh, those, oh, it's talking about a ceasefire, or actually calls for humanitarian aid. He says, Netanyahu explicitly rejected some of those calls on Friday as Blinken visited Israel. The prime minister specifically said his government opposed any temporary ceasefire in Gaza unless Hamas freed all the hostage it holds. That's my point, though. They've already offered that in re response for the things I just read. Then it says, I made it clear that we are going full steam ahead, which means continue to bomb indiscriminately and kill civilians, and that Israel refuses any temporary ceasefire that does not involve the release of the kidnapped Israelis. Again, actually, what's interesting is the way they frame it is very different than what he actually said. Specifically, just release the kidnapped Israelis. Israel is not allowing fuel into Gaza and objects to funds to be transferred in the Strip. He also said, by the way, they'll never allow fuel in, regardless if the hostage releases. So shows you that it's not about them. My point is, if they've already offered that twice and refused twice, why is it, CNN is doing its job as propaganda? Citing what they say, and he refuses unless they do the thing they've already offered twice. That's how dumb this gets. But as Ben, just doing his job, says, once again, the images from Gaza are awful and heartbreaking. Quite frankly, Ben, I don't think you care about that. And entirely the fault of Hamas. Exactly my point. Only Hamas's fault that UN buildings are being bombed? Only Hamas's fault that Amnesty found five exam examples of targeting civilians without Hamas locations? He doesn't care about that, or he doesn't know, which is even more embarrassing. The minute Hamas gives up the hostages and surrenders, it's all over. Are you kidding me? 
I mean, obviously that's not true because they've been doing this for 75 years, but also because they've already made it clear that even if they give the hostage back, they won't let fuel in. So right there, that's still ongoing war crime. So you just, it, it's just so embarrassing. Somebody like this can keep arguing that it all, it all goes back to the way it was the moment they, no, it doesn't. And even they're saying that. But he goes, everyone knows it. Well, come on, that's, that's not true. Everyone, the majority of people even commenting know that you're wrong, but this is just them trying to project that narrative. And everyone calling for a ceasefire is doing Hamas's dirty work. A ceasefire. Is Hamas's dirty work? So explain for me what exactly that gains Hamas. They're still in an open air prison. In fact, my point was if they hadn't have done this onslaught of genocide, everybody would be on Israel's side right now. So in fact, your exact comment would give them more. The bottom line is this is about continuing the genocide of Palestinians. But I simply said, you mean the prisoners that Hamas has twice offered to exchange and Israel has twice refused. They clearly do not want these Israelis back, which, ev which is evidenced by 30 days of indiscriminate bombing in the very locations where they're being held. I still think that's one of the most obvious points. How can you actually pretend that you care about whether those people survive when if your main point is they're using human shields, which then would argue that they might be some of them, and then you bomb where they are? I mean, nobody can take you seriously, Ben. That's ridiculous. They're, I mean, the point is I'm making that we can show that I don't think they are using human shields, but your argument is that's what they're doing. So wouldn't you argue they would use your people as human shields? Wouldn't that be how that's used? And yet you continue bombing everywhere all over the places where they're held. That's what you're telling us. You're bombing Hamas locations. Isn't that where you get it? I mean, it's just mind-blowingly stupid. Oh, I think I already have that. This was the next point. Like, this is a point that nobody will respond to. So I just read what I said there, showing you that doesn't it matter that they refuse it twice. And I simply say that they clearly don't want them back. And this is what I keep getting. You don't negotiate with terrorists. It encourages them to repeat their tactics. Okay, fair enough. That, that's not an invalid point if you think you're dealing with terrorists, but here's my question. So in what scenario do you see these people ever coming home? Fair question, right? Since the logic seems to be bomb everywhere constantly, even though prisoners are there, even though you say there are human shields being used until Hamas gives up, while refusing even allowing aid for civilians in exchange for prisoners? Come on, they don't want people back. Like, this is the argument that we don't deal with them. But okay, so what? in what scenario do those people come home? I don't believe these are real people. Mark, the, the people in Israel that, are, that even have hostages, they're the ones calling for ceasefire. This argument ensures they never come home. And I think Ben knows that. Now, just to point out, here's Nar Mario Narfall sharing propaganda. These two sweet girls are still being held hostage by Hamas. Do you know that, Mario? Have you confirmed that? Did you speak to Hamas? Or are you just blindly regurgitating and vomiting what Israel says onto the internet because that's what you're, whatever, you guys can read from there. I mean, this is there's so many of these supposedly new, the new independent media on Twitter who are just mainstream media light. Kills me. Right. And then Syrian girl comes in. Sorry, there's a grotesque picture you just saw right there. But that's the point, guys. The, the, doing stuff like this, I don't see Mario sharing all. I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is there's so much of this happening. Here, this Dumasani Washington, founder, CEO of Black Solidarity with Israel, says, imagine a terrorist holding your child hostage. Yeah, there's about 5,000 of them in, well, thousands of them in Israel right now. Is that what you mean? Probably not. And everyone attacking you for trying to get your child back. 
interesting how much he doesn't realize that could be applied both ways. But think about what he's saying there. So first of all, terrorists being Hamas in this case, he's arguing, they hold your child, which I don't think we've even necessarily proven that there are hostages that are children. That's Israel stating that. I haven't heard from, anyway, I just, I, I don't know if we can confirm a lot of this stuff, but it says, and anyone attacking you for trying to get your child back. Well, Israel has twice refused taking them back. Most of those families wanting them back are the ones calling for ceasefire. So this is an illusion. This world where they're presenting this unified front where everyone's, where these Jew haters are attacking these parents for trying to get their families. That's, I, I, where is that happening? I, that's my point. Everyone, Palestine is all of a sudden a Nazi hater, whatever. And th these people are presenting this as one kind of, it's just not real. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying the presentation that they're putting forward that it's all encompassing is just blatantly false. And of course, let's not forget that Israel has been holding 5,000 plus Palestinians, many of them women and children, many of them for years without charge, long before October 7th. And since then, I think it was even AP reported they took 1,200 more. And they're currently detaining and beating and torturing and doing all sorts of stuff in the West Bank to Palestinians, as even the BBC and others have reported. But apparently we only care about this artificial construct about one child and one mother and people attacking her because she tries to get her... That's, I just, it's, it's crazy to me. Now here, Israel adds a point to this on the 6th. Apparently Israel, they claim, is the one, isn't the one holding babies hostage. Well, I guess it depends on your definition of babies, but even... I, I, look... Are they killing and beheading all the babies or are they holding all the babies or do they even have any babies held? These lies are getting overwhelming. And I'm not going to start shying away from calling this stuff out just because the implication is that might be insensitive if their narrative is true. They've already been shown to be lying over and over about 40 beheaded babies. And then Haaretz information proves that there were, uh, doesn't seem to be anyone under four that was even killed. So uh, uh, interestingly, when they're saying Israel isn't the one holding babies, I dispute that in general because I'm willing to bet you that there's very young people that they're being held or that they would not shy away from doing so should that benefit their agenda. But that's, let's just say, for instance, for sake of conversation, that they're not holding any babies. Okay. Then they, they say there are not two sides. Well, there's no two sides. Well, there's, I, I don't even know why they would say that. That's interesting because that's just a blunt narrative control. There's only one side. Well, then who are you fighting? <laughs> that's just, I don't think they thought that through. But it says there's a terrorist organization who intentionally murders and kidnaps children and those who are trying to stop them. <laughs> well, maybe they're more right than they realize, but maybe they're not talking about who we think we're talking about. They're obviously talking about Hamas. But what they're saying is there's one group that does this. But right now you can clearly see, because they use the word children, there are hundreds of children that they have held in prisons that they've never even charged. Women, innocent people. It's interesting that they're so blinded to that and people can prove this. But here's the main point. As they murder 4,000 children in Gaza, UNICEF came out and simply said, the killing or, or, or captivity of any child is an outrage. It must stop. Now think about that statement. Does that say anywhere on it, Israel? I mean, even the argument would seem to suggest that captivity would imply Hamas, right? Because the mainstream narrative is not that Israel's have holding them captive, even though they are. But here's what's really telling. Israel took that personally, even though it wasn't directed at anybody. They say shame on UNICEF. Why exactly? Aren't they saying exactly what you're saying? That the bad guys are killing and holding hostage children? Is that exactly what we, you see? It's weird. It's almost like they're getting so on guard that they are now assuming, and, and this was directed at anybody anywhere, killing or holding captive children. And they took offense to it. 
Doesn't that show you that they know that they're doing that? Or at the very least, they think that they're pointing at them? This is what a guilty person does, is my point. You think you're guilty and you are guilty, so everything is an accusation, even though this was a broad statement to anybody anywhere doing that. You're caught. That's what's happening right now. Now, this is a really interesting point about this. So this is coming from Rebel News. Now, the reason I think that's important, Rebel has been going out of its way to paint this as a one-sided narrative for the Zionist control of Israel. Doesn't surprise anybody. But what's interesting is they show you this clip here with an IDF member claiming exactly what Dr. Anesthesia says, but it, it's, it's a little bit different than that's being framed. She says, an officer from the Israeli occupation admits Hamas did not kill or rape women on the 7th, which is actually what he says here. Which, the first point, completely challenges everything, the whole narrative. They raped and they tortured, they murdered, and by the way, they're only saying Hamas. You know why that that's the case? Even though clearly in many other conversations they're making it all about all Palestine? Because they have to pretend that they care about saving the civilians, otherwise they lose all control. So from the very beginning, it was only bad guy Hamas, even though really in their minds it's Palestine. I think that's why it's important. But what's happening here is this member is going, look, Hamas didn't do any of that. But he goes on to make it clear that it was the civilians, which means the Palestinians that came through that weren't Hamas. Now, I think the reason this is being shown by Rebel is because, in my opinion, is they're doing their best to make it seem like all Palestinians are animals, which is not true. But you see, that's my point. Is that's the 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 argument now is without not without hurting Israel's narrative that they're fighting for civilians that matter is to try to make the average person think all oh, these da gross, dangerous Muslims are terrible, just like happened during the ongoing still war of terror when it was at its peak, right? There was Islamophobia everywhere. Now, here's my, well, and this is the fact check down here. It says in the video, the policeman is referring to Gaza civilians who followed Hamas once the fence was open. Now, I don't think this makes the point they think it does. First of all, I don't believe that even those Palestinian civilians were responsible for the thing like, like the burnings that we saw as we've already proven that was because of hellfire missiles the shelling of these locations where they said they burned them alive and they did all this terrible stuff every one of those cases has now been shown to be one of these bombings they talked about but that doesn't mean that they let's say raping women i, I can't prove they didn't go in and do that but what i'm starting to think is that this is undermining their larger point if it wasn't hamas that did all this and it was some random people well in any other context you would just denote a lot Discuss that as an anomaly, One, this one person did a terrible thing. You get my point. They're trying to make this about all of them, which seems pretty... Oh, oh, that's right. I can show it right here because it's a subtitle. Who betrayed, who killed, who murdered? It's the citizens, it's not Hamas. It's the citizens. That's what they don't like. That's It's the citizens. Hamas came, opened, moved forward. Whoever came to rape and mutilated, they all did the citizens. That's what the world needs to understand. Did you see it? I saw it. So this is this is deliberate, guys. They're trying to quietly shift it in the background to being, ooh, it's all gross bad Palestinians, but the narrative has to maintain that we care about civilians from Israel's perspective for the world, even though nobody buys that right now, so they can maintain the illusion. But you see what what's in what like so what he's saying very well could have been committed by the IDF members or intelligence and Mossad to make it look like that, as we've already seen examples of. And I'll, I'll give you some things to go on after this. But my, the bottom line is, either it was Hamas that did this or not. If you're quietly trying to undermine that to make them all look bad, that means you've been lying about this from day one. As what he's trying to tell you is they all know that. That's what the world needs to know. 
The whole damn thing is an illusion, guys. Now, I'm not saying people didn't die or that Hamas didn't commit crimes, but we are being lied to on such a level that I think they've lost touch with reality in all of this. Like, they're just floating things like those chemical weapons accusations. And I mean, it's gotten out of control and, they, and people see it. So that point in general is what we should get into the Hannibal Directive and what that really means. And there's a great breakdown from uh, New World next week, James Evan Pilato and James Corbett, about why this is important. Now, I'll just show these now since I'm not going to go through them in depth. But I'll include the Gray Zone article again, October 7th, testimonies reveal Israel's military shelling Israeli citizens with tanks and missiles. They're direct quotes from Israeli corporate media. It's it's undeniable. And we got the Israeli outlet, Mondawise, pointing out a growing number of reports indicate Israeli forces responsible for Israeli civilian and military deaths. And then the Cradle Report and the same, what really happened on the 7th. And every one of these have links to Israeli corporate media where they admit, one of the main ones, including shelling houses with all their occupants inside in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages. That was said to, to Haaretz. And I've, I've shown you the Haaretz article. It's provable. So I'll play this clip where they talk about why that would happen. And I made this clear already too, but it's important that you guys hear this if you haven't. Just like the, the mowing the grass directive, I forget to pronounce it, Dahaya, I believe, this is called the Hannibal Directive, which was initiated after they were embarrassed by having to give back a bunch of, at the time, hostages, because that's always what they've done, prisoners, Palestinians that were held unjustly in exchange for one of their commanders. And it was embarrassing. So what they argued was they, in the future, should they have hostages or prisoners or however you want to frame it, that they'll just kill them to avoid them being used against them. Tell me that's not what we're seeing happen here. Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. They're playing for time to avoid shelling out hundreds of millions to defend all those trials. We've got that story plus global climate emergencies, but first, we begin again in Israel, September 11th, January 6th, now October 7. Testimonies reveal Israel's military shelling Israeli citizens. This big time report from thegrayzone.com. Israel's military received orders to shell Israeli homes and even their own bases as they were overwhelmed by Hamas militants on October 7th. How many Israeli citizens said to have been burned alive were actually killed by so-called friendly fire? Several new testimony by Israeli witnesses to the October 7 Hamas surprise attack on southern Israel adds to the growing evidence that the Israeli military killed its own citizens as they fought to neutralize Palestinian gunmen. Tuval Escapa, a member of the security team for Kibbutz Ba'iri, set up a hotline to coordinate between Kibbutz residents and the Israeli army. He told the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that as desperation began to set in, quote, the commanders in the field made difficult decisions, including shelling houses on their occupants in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages. That's the important one. That comes from the security team of that residential area inside Israel. You just can't deny this stuff. But ask yourself why the corporate media is not talking about it. Ask yourself why none of the governments are talking about it. Because they know what's going on. End quote. A separate report published in Haaretz noted that the Israel military was compelled to request an aerial strike against its own facility inside the Erez crossing to Gaza in order to repulse the terrorists who had seized control. That base was filled with Israeli civil administration officers. 
meaning they deliberately killed their own people in order to, to maybe kill some bad guys. That's what's happening right now in Gaza as well. They just don't care about the people in their way. And that's the Zionist regime I'm talking about. And soldiers at the time. These reports indicate that orders came down from the military's high command to a base was filled with Israeli civil administration officers and soldiers at the time. These reports indicate that orders came down from the military's high command to attack homes and other areas inside Israel, even at the cost of many Israeli lives. And, and really quickly, don't forget that that exact example where they bombed this location, which is confirmed by Haaretz, they then went on to report that Hamas bombed the area. That's how this works every single time. It's right there. They address the damage caused by Hamas. No, that's the building they bombed and then blamed all the deaths on Hamas. That's the game they play. ...named Yasmin Porat confirmed in an interview with Israel Radio that the military undoubtedly killed numerous Israeli non-combatants during gun battles with Hamas militants on October 7. Quote, they eliminated everyone, including the hostages, she stated, referring to Israeli special forces. The mounting evidence of friendly fire orders handed down by Israeli army commanders strongly suggests that at least some of the most jarring images of charred Israeli corpses, Israeli homes reduced to rubble, beheaded babies, and burned out hulks of vehicles presented to Western media were in fact the handiwork of tank crews and helicopter pilots blanketing Israeli territory with shells, cannon fire, and indeed hell fire missiles. Indeed, it appears that October 7, Israel's military resorted to the same tactics it has employed against civilians in Gaza, driving up the death toll of its own civilians with the indiscriminate use of heavy weapons. More great work from our buddy Ryan Christian at The Last American Vagabond. Evidence shows Israel killed its own citizens on the 7th and 53 United Nations staff and journalists deliberately killed. James, it turns out, and this was, this was news to me, that this false flaggy move has a name, the Hannibal Directive. What was a controversial procedure used by Israeli defense forces to prevent the capture of Israeli soldiers by enemy forces? At one time, the formulation was that the kidnapping must be stopped by all means, even at the price of striking and harming our own forces. This is so obvious. It's right in front of everybody. Now, again, these are the, the kind of points we're talking about. This is one of these cars that were bombed. Hamas doesn't have the capability to do the, what you're looking at. This was a Hellfire missile. There was a car fleeing and they bombed it. And then they go, oh, here's Hamas that burned hostages alive. They burned themselves next to them, apparently. No, this is a bombing that they blamed on Hamas that they committed in the Hannibal Directive as they were fleeing. As the helicopter pilots admitted, they bought, they were attacking places or cars that were fleeing back into Gaza that they knew likely could have had hostages. They knew that. Oh, they just I want to show this as well. Don't forget, we already have uh, Yosheved Lifshitz who was released who shook the person's hand, said shalom, said they treated her nicely, they gave her feminine hygiene, they fed her the same food. We've heard this already from multiple people. It's not hard to see that at very least we're being lied to on a massive scale. It doesn't mean that there aren't some people out there that are being hurt. As this develops, we'll be able to reward more, but it's clearly not as all-encompassing as Israel's trying to frame it. Here's the show they were referencing there. If you want to watch it for yourself, obviously we're well past 53 UN staff at this point. It was 88, I believe now. But let's get into some other pretty uncomfortable topics here. I mean, in the sense that this is something that most people really shy away from, but I really think this is important. Not because I'm in any way, now let me make this very clear. 
I am in no way trying to suggest that there's not racism or that there's not people that will be act in hatred against others, whether that's against Jews or black people or white people or anybody. It happens every damn day and we can see it. And your government usually doesn't care about it until they can use it in their own way. So even in this case, I can prove to you that they don't care about this stuff. It's about trying to use this to suppress people like us who are calling them out for their crimes. But it's important to understand racism is real. I don't think anybody should dispute how that's an obvious fact. Hate is real. And whether or not somebody might choose either through their own personal hatred or through the manipulation that they think they're attacking somebody who is a culprit in the case of like Zionism and manipulating Judaism and having somebody who thinks they hate Jews because they're the biggest problem in the world when not realizing that the Zionists that are manipulating them and targeting their frustration at the wrong group. In any sense, hatred's wrong anywhere, I would argue. I mean, I, in a sense of like a racial concept, I hate governments, I'll put it that way. I think Zionism is a political entity, or it is. My point in saying this, though, is that there, there are people that might carry out hate, acts of hatred that might just be deliberately manipulated. But either way, it, it happens. In this case, somebody might go out and spray paint a swastika on somebody's door because they think that they're a Jew. And that's disgusting. And everybody should call that disgusting. But what is arguably as disgusting or more, if you however you want to look at it, is if somebody, let's say in this case, a Jewish person went out and did that in order to create the narrative that they want to use, maybe even because they think it's real, lying for your truth, as we call it. Wouldn't you argue that's equally disgusting, especially since you're then creating hate that wasn't there, at least in the context of that location or in any other circumstance? So, I mean, we, Jesse, Jesse Smollett and the creating a hate crime to try to make it look like you were the victim when in reality you paid people to do it. Still walking around. The point is, this is a real tactic. Now, in regard to Zionism, I've been pointing this out. It goes back, and I'll play that clip at the end of the segment. To many people, historians, Avi Shalom I've been playing, it points out that Zionists were using these tactics, both against the British and other Jews, in order to drive them into the creation of Israel. Now, looking back, we frame that as they were under persecution from Arabs everywhere as the narrative we get, but that doesn't seem to line up with the actual history. Now, before we get there, this is one thing I just saw that I think is important to talk about. Now, as I said, this does not mean that every other circumstance should be immediately assumed to be a falsity. That, that would be equally stupid. But Ben Miller points out anti-Semitic messages near a pro-Palestine sit-in, which is why that happened, in my opinion, at Stanford turned out to have been written by somebody trying to make the Palestinians' protest look bad. Now, I won't read from the image because obviously we did our due diligence and we can read it directly from the article and have more background on it in general. But this is what they're saying. Actually, oh, I, I, oh, I forgot to highlight it. Hold on. It's, uh, so first of all, so that's pretty long, yeah. This, the point on this one was, let's see. That's right. I did, that's why I didn't highlight it. That was weird. Well, let me just skim through it real quick. The point of saying is the anti-Semitic messages were written in chalk in the sit-in. The chalk messages were falsely assumed to be written by pro-Palestinian students. Turns out to be a Jewish student who said it was a joke. But it says the administration tends to implement a new security review and educate the community on the roots of anti-Semitism, even though they know this is where it stems from. That's, that's, this, that, that's how it works. He cautioned community members against drawing conclusions about things that may be reported on or without verification, he warned. The circulation of fake news, which he said is an important issue for consideration of keeping the place safe. 
He says he brought up a protected identity harm report the university received on Wednesday regarding markings that made in white chalk in the plaza. What you can see, it says, come chat about how Jewish babies should be burned alive. This one says, uh, I, I can't read exactly what it says, but it says an individual affiliated with the university attempted to chalk phrases on the ground, pointing towards students participating in the sit-in for Palestine. It says included deeply offensive language towards the Jewish people. So whether or not he intended to be of, like to frame it as them doing it, that's how it got used. And this one, you could simply argue the way it was used is kind of like, look at them denying babies getting burned or whatever, even though that's a narrative that's already been shown to be false, both AI images as well as the lie about 40 beheaded babies and being burned alive, which that just got conflated. My point is, whether or not he intended it that way, it spread around the world. As the, common, as the saying goes, the lie will circle the world twice as the truth gets its boots on or however the paraphrasing ever goes. He said, the, he said that although the photo was initially assumed to be anti-Semitic in nature, it was later disputed. Now, look, what's interesting is they've already changed this. You can see what it said before, anti-Semitic messages and so on. It's just that's not the writing anymore. They're always updating stuff. Quote, the chalking was created by a Jewish community member who was trying to use irony and sarcasm to draw negative attention to the pro-Palestinian protest. Well, does that or does it really show you that he is the one creating negative attention and racism? I'm not saying you guys can come to conclusions for yourself, but while he writes the thing that is perceived to be racist, why would that be drawing racist attention to them? And when it says within a few minutes of chalking, they regretted what they wrote and erased it and actually apologized. But that does not even seem, that's not the same one. See my point? Like that's not this anyway. So the point is this was drawn by a Jewish student, which was then blown out of proportion, was reported all over the, the campus and Oh, and this was just the other another statement that came out saying there are pictures circulating about chalking yesterday. The point was it was created by a Jewish community member, not not a uh, a student. But this, which by the way they've already deleted, which shows you what this actually is, this group that's like wildly pro-Israel, uh, Visgrad forty twenty four. What's going on in Stanford? Despicable, and there it is, and this went millions of views around the world. David Eli, even Eli David, people like that shared it without question because they don't care about validating these kind of things. Well, here's another example. Now we're going to go back a little bit, but let's understand this is not a new thing. And this is why I want it to be clear. I'm not trying to say that because this ever happened, therefore all of them or even the majority are fake. But we have to acknowledge, and I don't even know why I have to make this point. Isn't it always possible somebody could be lying? Yes, except believe women, right? You get it. There's always a moment of fervor where suddenly you're not allowed to say that obvious thing. It's just so childishly stupid. But always it can be that somebody is trying to lie about these things, but maybe because they're a troll, maybe just because they want to get, that's a troll, but get people worked up. Maybe because they want to push what they think is happening and the only way to get you to see it is by lying about it. Like who knows? The point is lies happen. And then it gets used whether or not people know that it's a lie. 2018, U.S. Israeli teen is convicted in Israel for bomb threats during Trump's rise. An Israeli-American teenager was found guilty in Israel on Thursday of making about 2,000 hoax bomb threats against Jewish and other institutions in the U.S. and elsewhere during Donald Trump's rise to the presidency in 2016 and 2017. Now, why would he do that? Why would a Jewish teenager 
carry out bomb calls against Jewish institutions. And you know what happened before this got exposed? Anti-Semitism is everywhere and it's attacking everybody all the time. And even if you think that's true, they used a false story to drive that, nar that narrative. That should be kind of disconcerting. The incident stoked allegations by some American critics at the time that Republican contender was encouraging anti-Semitism. See my point? Now, the real question should then become, was this an agenda? Was this, this teen paid to do this? Was he being driven to do this? Was he a member of intelligence? Was he, you know what I mean? This is, just because he's a teenager, 18, 19, does not mean that he's not part of some intelligence apparatus. The bottom line is, we need, or, or how about better yet, that they have somebody in his circle that he doesn't realize is, and they're driving him to do it, so they're not accountable for it. Happens all the time. Talk to the FBI. They do it every day. The point is that we have to ask whether this is about creating the illusion to justify the narrative or justify the ongoing genocide. Not that I'm not saying they're the same time frame, but at the time it was still happening. We just didn't, many people just didn't talk about it until October 7th. Anyway, the point is it turned out to be Israeli teenager or a Jewish teenager who was carrying these attacks out from Israel or the hoaxes against the United States. It's kind of hard to see what that looks like. 2012, suspect behind New York's rash of swastika graffiti is Jewish. I mean, this, you see, there, there, is a, there is a string between these guys. The person arrested for a spate of anti-Semitic graffiti in New York is apparently just mad about business disputes and not on a hate campaign against Jews. Now, I mean, maybe, maybe the excuse was, I'm just mad about the business. Or maybe he was carrying out some kind of an agenda. I'm not saying I know that, but why would we not think about that possibility? Right? We, there's a clear effort here by Zionist manipulators to justify, just like we saw in the beginning origins of Israel, justify their existence as an illegal occupier. Not a Jewish state. Right? That's not what I'm trying to say is the thing that shouldn't exist. What I'm saying is the Zionist occupation of Palestine is an unjust thing in general. Whether it's not a Jewish state, a Christian state, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is that this might just be about driving the narrative to say this is how much we're under attack and therefore we need your support no matter what. And that's a Zionist manipulation using Judaism, which is what we're always trying to show people. This is 2023 from August. Jewish man confesses to writing anti-Semitic graffiti in the front of a French restaurant. French police have said that the man was owed money by the restaurant owner. Right, that's all it was. It wasn't about trying to make it look like people hated Jews, right? Even though they do. I'm saying in this one case, trying to make that look like that was the case that was happening. Now look, even if you believe there's an overwhelming amount of anti-Semitism right in this area, it still does not justify the action. You're, create, you're only adding to that problem, which then makes it clear that the intention is not to stop it, but to continue the problem. This is from 2017. Man, I, I love the way they frame this because this person, it's this, the bottom line, it's a man claiming to be Jewish charged with painting swastikas on his own home in New York City. He is a Jewish person. The point is painting swastikas on his own home. And we covered this one actually. And, and it, got, it was embarrassing because he got, he got called out and it was like, what do you say at that point? Now here's one from 2019. Flag dubbed death to Zionists found during arrest of a Jewish terror suspect. Now, what's interesting about this is it was, it says Shin Bet, the FBI there also realizes or releases videos showing students burning Israeli flag and so on. Now, look, there's a lot of what they don't want you to know. 
even Orthodox Jews that are actively protesting and burning the Israeli flag and saying we don't agree with Zionism and so on. I don't actually think what that, that's what this is. It could be just general resistance, but the way they framed it is interesting. And even more so, Ben Gavire, who is currently in the like one of the leading extremists in the Israeli government, represented them as his lawyer. One of the suspects, anyway, saying there is no proof that of the that the video and the flag belong to the teams. Moreover, he accused Shin Bet of cynically publishing the evidence because it knows the case is crumbling. So these people are deeply embedded in the extremist Zionist agenda. So if this was just a radical person that was protesting Israel, do you think he would stand up and defend him? You know what that shows me? That this is an agenda, that he is defending him because the point was to put this stuff out there and act like it was Nazis doing it, but he got caught with it and you can't claim a Jewish person. You see my point? This is happening. Out, this is from 2017. Outrage sparked in central Israel after swastikas spray painted near synagogue. Now, this was a story that this is where it started. The city of Petah-Tikva, which apparently has a huge problem with this, and they're, and they're writing about it. This was in April 2017. Now, the story is just that they, people get in their houses spray painted with swastikas, and it's a horrible thing, and there's so much Nazi Jew hatred all over this area. That's what the story is saying right there. But then... In June, guess who they arrested? Jewish suspects arrested over the swastika graffiti in the synagogues. In the, this is the exact same story. Now, what's funny is when you look this further, once they arrest these kids and they're found to be the responsible parties, the story just vanishes. Isn't that interesting? They just leave it as arrested and we don't know. It's undefined. No, they were guilty. And that's the point. Police said Sunday they had arrested the two teenagers on the suspicion of, dub, of spraying these swastikas on the synagogues. Now, it says the police source confirmed that the suspects, 17, were from the area. Both were Jewish. I had this highlighted. Hold on. An investigation was opened. It led to the arrest of these two minors. It says the police launched an investigation after Nazi images appeared on screensavers on computers in these schools. Okay, so this is my point. These kids were doing this. Now, whether this was just them being, you know, rebels, which I could see that happening too. It's the clearly the biggest taboo thing there, so... Them doing so would be something you might expect a young kid to do, kind of lashing out, but, you know, however you want to look at it. But the point is they're on computer screens. They're on their screensavers. Found this stuff. With, so it's clear, clear that these Jewish miners were the ones doing this. So ultimately, we know that's what happened here. Now, was this just a game? Was this them being driven to do it by some kind of entity? And even then, they knew it was them. Did they still, did it go on to, no, they still used it to argue this was a problem right where this was happening. Several students were detained by police after the complaint was filed about two memes of Hitler and concentration camps, which appeared on their computers. A police spokesman said at the time, it appears that a minor and a student of an educational institution did some work on a computer in one of these classes in which he created the presentation with Nazi content. But we're still not sure, though. We're, we're, we left it, we're suspects, arrested. We're, you know, they just dropped the story. Now, in the same location... The same area, Pita Tikva. Let me show you a couple of other stories that you probably won't hear. Soldiers suspected of carrying out price tag attacks, 2013. An IDF member and his brother allegedly spray-painted anti-Arab phrases, punctured tires in the West Bank settlement. They, on Wednesday, extended the, rem the remand of an IDF soldier, because that's they slap on the wrist, no problem, and his brother, who suspected of spray-painting racist incentives. In, uh, in invective, excuse me, 
The soldier, a 19-year-old who serves in the elite unit of the Golani Brigade, will be held in custody. That's about all that happens. The two, both residents of this area, are suspected of spray-painting graffiti and citing violence on Arabs in general. Several Israeli-owned uh, is on several Israeli-owned buses. See, on Israeli-owned buses, even, which is weird. And there's even examples I'll show you next of them spray painting. Like I'll, I'll wait to show you that. But the point is, and, oh, and, and and puncturing tires, and this is these are racist acts. But it doesn't matter. You won't hear this on the Fox and CNN news because this is not the kind of racism that they care about. Here's another one, 2016. Don't employ Arabs. Car wash in central Israel set alight in Petka Tikva. Now, these, this, these are Israelis who are burning Israeli businesses because they employ Arabs in 2016. But, you know, we don't, that, we don't care about that. That's, you know, because Israeli Palestinians are gross, right? So this is the acceptable kind of racism, according to your governments. Terror charges filed against Israeli who dreamed of decapitating Arab babies. Times of Israel, 2018. Same place. Petka Tikva. Now, let me ask you, I wonder what kind of racism do you think is prevalent in this area? Including that you have these some of these people being the ones doing the spray painting of swastikas, in at least the case we showed you. But you have people who are dreaming of decapitating Arab babies. And making this a clear conversation, and yet this is something that we, and yet we, and then we get told they decapitated a bunch of babies. Well, and that didn't even happen. Seems like there's a running theme here. While 12 Ball points out in the 1980s, Israel created the FLLF, a fake terror group that murdered hundreds of Palestinians and Lebanese civilians in a series of false flag bombings that created the pretext for Israel's 1982 invasion of Lebanon. That's how this game is played. How the Israeli military censor killed a story about terrorist bombing campaign in Lebanon. Right, this is the game, guys. This is the their origins. And you can read about this. There's a whole thread here. False flag warfare. And this is exactly where the origin comes from. As Dan Cohen has pointed out, Yezra Yachin, the guy we showed you earlier, the IDF reservist, don't, the, the, he's a member of the Lehigh Party, which was a offshoot of the Ergun Party. All these were openly, the Lehigh Party called their own members terrorists. The point was, as you can prove, even on Wikipedia, that group, which is the foundational origin, both of them, of Zionism, tried to align themselves with Nazi Germany twice. And even Stalin, once. They're a fascist entity that just want control. And they use Judaism to manipulate everybody. I think this is what we need to understand. So now that we have these things happening, or anything for that matter, that gets, seems to progress the allowance of ongoing genocide, we need to step back and ask whether we're being played yet again. Here is the Middle East eye. Zionist role in 1950 attacks on Iraqi Jews confirmed by operative and police report. But it's not like we even need that. This is a basic reality that you can prove because of people that were there that can report on it. But again, because of the documentation that you can see, they open proud conversations of founding Israel members that say they did all of this stuff. I mean, it's just painful how obvious this is. But read this. It's graphic and it's horrible. And the reality is it's not just about... Iraq. But in, for in, in interest of time, I'll just play the clip that I've played many times of Avi Shalom telling you his own experience with this and his family. Iraqi Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was 
mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq, five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. Right, so uh, Zionist false flag efforts, right? I mean, let's not forget the British at the time, were very aware that they were being attacked and bombed by the Lehi Park, and they gave them Palestine in the documentation. It's very clear. We showed you the Belfort Declaration. All these things used to be ignored, dismissed. It's just, it's just blatantly obvious. Now, to wrap up quickly, since we just passed three hours in general, I wanted, them, I wanted to talk about a few other just propaganda efforts, lies. We saw this come out today. And immediately, all of the people you would expect blindly shared this without any due diligence whatsoever. As Fiorella Isabella, somebody you should be following, writes, earlier it was reported that there was an attempted assassination of the Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas. Now, but even then, that's not the accurate frame. She's saying this as the statement, but the point is she understands well, and I know she does, that that's not the, that the Palestinian Authority, at least by the perception of most people in the West Bank and in Gaza, is an arm of the Israeli control structure. It's an arm of the occupying forces. Now, whether Abbas feels that way, the point is that that's obviously how it's been used. The Palestinian Authority is used as a blunt object against Palestinians that do that act against the Israeli state. It happens every day. So they do not see them as, as a, on the Palestinian side, essentially, in most ways. So it's what this, what that's, I'm giving you that context to understand why this would be faked. Because the point is, they're trying to create division. They're trying to create people to, they're trying to break the, how coalesced the entire resistance has become. Because really what they've done, more than just expose this to the world, is solidify any different divisions that might have been there right now and what's going on with the Palestinian resistance. So here, enter an attempted false flag, or at least a psychological operation. It says, earlier it was reported that there was an attempted assassination of Abbas. The, the leader of the Palestinian Authority, in a video surfacing as a fake, allegedly by Mossad. That's the reports. Videos are from the incident with drug dealers in, in uh, Jalazan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, from a different angle, an earlier, an older video. Abbas didn't leave home today, according to their own reports, which, again, according to the PA, a campaign of fake orchestrated by Israeli intelligence is trying to provoke a civil war between Palestinian factions, and they made a statement debunking these claims earlier. These are not of Abbas. Now, my point would be, like I was trying to say a second ago, is that you know whether Abbas is of that mind and maybe he just feels conflicted and he's acting on their behalf, I don't know. But I know that the perception is largely that he, the entity of the Palestinian Authority, I should say more correctly, is not in the interest of Israel, Palestine. But Abbas seems to be pointing this out. I don't know where his allegiances stand in that regard. But the point is that by doing this, because there are some people that would still try to use the Palestinian Authority to achieve some kind of end might feel like this was an attack on them and then might act. I think this is an interesting play, which as far as I can tell does seem to be a fake. Now what you're all you're going to see in this video is a an angle showing a security guard get shot. 
right at the beginning. Security focus block. And that turns into an assassination on the boss. I just don't even get how that made sense in the beginning. I was very skeptical at the start. That shows the other angle. Now, here is DD Geopolitics. Videos from an alleged attack on Palestinian president. A boss car had surfaced recently. The videos are from the incident with the drug dealers, as she pointed out, and saying the yeah, same points. The same being reported by the PA. He goes on to say, two days ago, a fake group by the name of Abu Jandal allegedly released a joint statement to Palestinian Authority officials declaring mutiny against Abbas within 24 hours. The post was shared by a newly created Telegram channel and only three minutes later was reposted by a famous virtual opposition page called Mishhek. The page's IP address comes from his Tel Aviv Israel, according to the PA intelligence officer. The statement, which shares names and actual officials in the Palestinian Authority, debunked the fake statement right after it was published, exposing the attempt as a work of Mossad aiming to destabilize the West Bank and create social divisions and security conflicts. Because that's where the PA would more, th this action would be more directed at destabilizing the West Bank. Because clearly they seem to know what they want to do in Gaza. But realize the West Bank is much more, it's complicated, much more so, especially with Jordan, who has joint control over lots of this discussion are, are saying if you do anything and try to displace them like this, then we will feel, we'll declare that war. It's a huge statement from Jordan. Now he goes on to say, the video is confirmed inauthentic by local sources, more Israeli fakes. And this is, uh, deny, they've denied that this has even happened in the first place. And he shows you the photos from the drug bust, which is where this video actually comes from. And then he points out the important thing, I think, here, which is that there are, these are the accounts, which are, which are huge, 100,000 million plus followers spreading this information. That's how the new independent media X version actually works. Yours seems to be the only one who refuted it and looked further in regard to his account. Good for you. Oh, I didn't even realize how, how large they've grown. Good for them. They're at uh, 178,000. And I, I think they do great work. Like just like this, because they're being critical and showing actual object objectivity. But you can look at them and see, right? The same Mario Narfall right there, as you would expect. And then, see, this one is just them saying an alleged attack, which is reporting that they're being reported. But the rest of them are saying an assassination, been targeted an assassination, the same old, same old, as you might expect, without knowing that, right? And here's one of them. I meme, therefore I am, it's a huge account. 258,000, just seeing an organized attempt to assassinate Abbas. Abbas was handed a 24 ultimatum. That's the lie that DD Geopolitics already showing was a fake, but this is just the narrative. It's a partisan point. Saying the sums of Abu, uh, Abu Jandal group claim credit for the incident didn't happen. So that's, and I just, you know, said that appears to be false. You know, there's too much of this happening right now. So just be on guard like this. Now, you don't need me to point out what a ridiculous person this guy is. Everybody's seen, hopefully more and more seem to see it. But I mean, just, you can see the kind of stuff. Well, just to make this quick, since I forget we're I'm trying to wrap here. He writes, Israel, Israeli, Jewish, and Muslim soldiers praying side by side. It, couldn't he have just said Jewish and Muslim? You know, it's just so funny how these Zionists try, can't, they need to conflate the two things. That's the point we're making earlier. But saying praying side by side, and they're coming for you, Hamas terrorists, or really, Eli, you mean all Palestinian civilians, but you know, it's a different topic. But so does, does this look legitimate to you? Well, listen to some people that commented here, which immediately stood out to me as well. First, praying Salah while wearing sunglasses and shoes. 
doesn't seem to make much sense. Where did you hire these no good actors and who was the director? You know, obviously making acting like it's some, oh, and then they point out, oh, oops, this is an old image anyway from before this started, which doesn't necessarily indicate that he didn't necessarily claim it was from now, but you see my point? It's like, they're just dumping propaganda on you, man. It's old. This person says, you realize that Muslims and Jews do not face the same direction when they're praying, right? <laughs> now, if you don't understand what that means, they're right. I didn't even think about that. Both of them actually play, pray. If they're, um, I forget the directions, actually. Let me know in the chat. J Muslims are supposed to pray in a specific direction, like northwest, southeast kind of thing, every time. And same with Jews. And it's not the same. So that's stupid. And Eli David is dumb. And he doesn't even realize it, or he doesn't even care. But most people are calling this out. And the same thing, glasses and shoes, come on. I mean, these people either don't even believe in their religion or they're, they're pretending it, but I even looked this up and found the older version, even from the IDF, where they've tried to use it before. <laughs> April 29th, 2022, look at that. A Jewish IDF soldier and a Muslim soldier praying together. This is IDF forces. They're basically saying they're coming, same thing. And this, even then, soldiers praying with boots and shoes, fake people do fake things. They just, it's blatant, guys. They're just trying to manipulate everybody. That's what they do. I mean, if you care to look into what the IDF's like marching statements are and their own doctrine, it's clear that they operate. Well, I shouldn't even make it about IDF. That's what intelligence does. What, ask Pompeo. We lie, we cheat, we steal. That's what they do. They lie. That's what they're here for. Well, I should, I guess the IDF isn't the same as the, but it is. I mean, military, I, I think it's all kind of the same game. My point is that they would be, their game is to manipulate. That's how they, that, same thing with the military at the leadership level of the U.S. government and the rest of them. Now, here's another example. This person is a researcher, not that I, I don't recognize for what, but he simply points out Syrian rebels are starting operations against Assad and Hezbollah for their comrades in Gaza. So, this is really clumsy propaganda aimed at people that have no idea what's going on. And it works. It's got a lot of shares. But think about it. It's, it's in another language. Here's the point. So Syrian rebels. Okay. So we're talking about terrorists. Those are the moderate rebels, right? These are these are Al-Qaeda, Hayat al-Sham, the worst of the worst. Okay. And those are funded and controlled and, and backed by the U.S. government in the West. That's an obvious. If you still debate that, you shouldn't even be... good. You know, that's basic, basic reality. But we have to realize those people were clearly fighting Assad at the behest of the West and others, right? And, and Hezbollah, in, in the same context, I would argue, I guess, because they're all just the West back, Western backed proxies fighting whoever they claim is their enemy, but that they're aligned with Gaza? Like, the only way that would make sense, and this, that's why I mean this is so clumsy is to not know that the rebels were working at the behest of the West. But even then, how do you make sense of the fact that you're claiming, does that mean that the Gaza entities would fight Syria? Even though you're you're right now telling us they're all fighting in support of them and they're saying that? Like, it just it's just, it's a clumsy effort to just conflate bad guys anywhere with the bad guy you're focusing on right now. That, you know, people that just would have no idea about that and be like, no, yeah, rebels are terrorists and so is God's a terrorist, so they're all terrorists. Makes sense to me. I mean, think about how dumb that is. And the world the, the world of Mr. X points out, I don't understand. Their comrades in Gaza are receiving support from the same people who are supporting Assad. It's it, people that know. They're like, that's stupid. Mohammed points out, this is absolutely misinformation. This is nothing of what he's claiming it to be. The point is this person doesn't seem to even be saying that. Like, it's just, this, and this person, look at how they respond cry <laughs> okay so like that's i just i'd laugh about that and shut up kjb or whatever the point is 
everywhere, everywhere. And this shows you how desperate they are in their agenda. If the best they can do is just try to pull in anything. That's, the, that's like saying Hamas is ISIS, but you created both. Yeah, people see through you right now. That's the point. Dan Cohen points out, for all the talk in Washington, D.C. and Brussels about Hamas's military support from Hezbollah and Iran, remember that Hamas doesn't even have anti-aircraft weapons, and that would allow it to shoot down Israeli jets, obliterating the population. However, much support it has received, Gaza is fighting with rudimentary weapons against the region's most heavily armed military, being backed by one of the other most heavily armed militaries in the world who's about to send precision weapons even on top of what Israel has, the U.S. government, a modern-day David versus Goliath. This person says, why is no one talking about the fact that Israel hasn't taken out the leadership of Hamas in Qatar? Now, I'm not extremely well-versed on the influence of Hamas or presence in Qatar, but taking at face value for this, the, the idea, I would argue that there's got to be some level of Hamas representation elsewhere. Now, why wouldn't they be talking about that or focusing on that in other than places where you can prove it doesn't happen? Like, it's a very weird dynamic, right? Because Qatar is obviously, I guess, to some degree on their side. It's a very different dynamic right now. And that would be why. Sort of like how in Yemen, you can prove there's been a perfect little pocket of ISIS control right within the controlled U.S.-Saudi territory since the beginning. And I guess we just pretend that that makes sense, right? Seeing as how they have no access anywhere. They don't have an air force. So they clearly need to get out of there at some point, And they do. But they just travel right through Saudi U.S. controlled territory. Nobody cares. No, they're working together, guys. That's the point. And in fact, I can prove that territory has only grown since that started. Just like they work with them everywhere else because they're working with them. They're proxies, guys. But it says, we know, no, they haven't before... We know why they haven't before now, but, and maybe I just haven't run across it, he says, why not now while they're going after Hamas? I think the point is obvious because it's not about Hamas. That's the point. Sardar Sadar points out, uh, Ashab al-Kaf, the Iraqi Shia militia group, says in a statement that political solutions are useless and that the only option left is military operations against the U.S. embassy and bases claiming Baghdad's U.S. embassy is the, quote, source of terrorism in the region and that it must be closed. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The reason I included this. This is, first of all, just one representative of one group, right? Not Russia or Iran, which is how they'll frame that. But the point ultimately is, even if it is, what are they actually saying? You know it'll be framed as they're threatening terrorist attacks. This is a group backed by the entities that control the area, fighting the illegal occupier. Now, that may not be comfortable for those that want to be super jingoistic about this and act like any discussion like that is anti-America. What's anti-America is your government's actions that put America at risk. The illegal occupation of territory, the illegal genocide, the actual murder, rape, and pillaging of half the world, that is what puts your, what your people at risk. What he's saying is that the only thing left is a military act, which is protected under the Geneva Conventions. Now, I may argue that the embassy which would likely hold civilians, wouldn't be something you should target if you're trying to be adherent to the law. But again, this is an occupation, and that the U.S. military and government bringing in people into an illegal occupation makes them the fact that they're using them as human shields. That's how that would be argued, especially if you're going to pretend that that even makes sense in Gaza right now when it's not even the same dynamic. But if you're going to pretend that by being present, they're human shields, what do you call everybody in Israel? What do you call everybody in U.S. embassies and bases in Iraq or Syria or anywhere else? Sorry, your logic doesn't work one way. But the point is, 
this is important to understand that the illegal occupation is the U.S. military in Syria, in Iraq, anywhere else. The U.N. has always maintained that. Same thing anywhere, guys. Same in the Golan Heights. Same in any location we're talking about. I mean, quite frankly, you could make that about Hawaii if you wanted to, because that's the fact. That's the fact. Just because time goes forward does not change the reality. But mark my words, they're going to frame this as they're going to threaten terrorism, and we're going to have to bolster our position. And what else are we going to do? They're the ones breaking the law, so they're going to push in. And here's what Blinken has to say, because of course, just like with Israel right now, you got to frame yourself as the victim, as the occupier. Uh, at the same time, it was very important to send a very clear message to anyone who might seek to take advantage of the conflict in Gaza to threaten our personnel uh, here or anywhere else in the region. Don't do it. Uh, I made very clear that... Everybody laughs about that. I mean, Kavor uh, Kalmasian uh, made this point, and he's right. I laughed about that. What do you think you're doing right there? Don't. Don't do it. Biden did the same thing. Kamala did the same thing. You guys are tired. It's tired. It's played. And we see right through you. You think anybody's like cowering in fear when you say that? It's, people laugh about them at this point. And it's, and it's embarrassing as an American because they do not represent us or what we actually believe. Don't do it. Don't act accord, in accordance with the national law because you'll murder them. Yeah, that's what it seems to be happening. The attacks, the threats coming from militia that are aligned with Iran are... Or the Iraqi government or the Syrian government, you know, the places where you illegally occupy and Iran supports them, you know, however you want to frame that. Totally unacceptable. And we will take every necessary step to protect our people. We're not looking. No, no, you're not, because one of those necessary steps will be removing them from illegal occupation, which puts them at risk. You won't do that. In fact, you'll make them stay there, just like you did in many of these locations, like Libya, for example, where they then ended up being the reason you then use them and their death and their suffering to further pursue your goals. Sort of like what they're doing with the hostages in Israel right now, or occupied Palestine. For conflict with Iran, we've made that very clear, but we'll do what's necessary uh, to, uh, to protect our, our, our personnel, uh, be they military or civilian. Well, there shouldn't be civilians in the first place if we're talking about an ongoing illegal occupation. But as I said, only the US government is there illegally. That's not disputed by anyone other than the US government in Israel. Or, I mean, I should say, like even, I do, I, I think it's important to understand that Europe is a constantly fluctuating concept or even individual countries like Germany, you know, they kind of walk the line sometimes, especially because they clearly see that they're used by these entities anyway. My point though, is outwardly and aggressively the US and Israel, the ones that truly try to maintain this, like the occupation of Gaza. But the UN and most honest people have always maintained the obvious reality. They do not have a legal standing to continue to occupy Iraq or Syria or anywhere else. Or Afghanistan, by the way, for those that still pretend like we're not there. It says, as they continue to illegally occupy Iraq, which means that the Iraqis do have the legal right to armed rebellion under the Geneva Conventions, one would think a rules-based international order would at least pretend to care about the rules. Now, that's not me pretending or insinuating that the rules matter to any of these people. But my point is, as they pretend to be the rules-based international order, it's pretty damn stupid that they flout and just completely circumvent the laws and rules whenever they want to on full display because they're the rules-based international order. So that doesn't even mean what we think it means. It just means we're in power. Then one point that I want to end with before we talk about the West Bank on a last segment, Dan Cohen makes a great point here that we need to understand. CNN embeds itself with the IDF. 
under the condition that all of its material must be reviewed and approved by the military censor prior to publication. Is that journalism? No, that's propaganda. CNN is explicitly acting as the propaganda mouthpiece for the genocidal regime of Israel. I mean, what kind of journalist would ever allow editorial control before they can even report what they put together? That's not a journalist. But we know CNN does not care about that. And to that exact point, let's show you some things that were, I mean, this was 60 Minutes. This was covered a while back. The reality of what's going on in the West Bank that they continue to hide from you, <clears throat> which is that they live under military occupation and every moment of their lives is uncertain. Like the point was that person made the other day. If at any moment they could come in your house, they can kick you out in the middle of the night, take your beds, take your food, beat you up, kill you. And nobody cares and nobody doesn't think about it. What do you think that does to your psyche? This is a three-minute report from 60 Minutes. To an apartment owned by Mr. Nassif here in Nablus. We understand that Israeli soldiers came in this morning and without any notice, without any invitation, came into the apartment and have been there ever since. We cannot speak with you. There is a soldier. They're soldiers? Yes. What are they doing here? We are prison here. What's happening? They, they are uh, keep, keeping here and the soldiers upstairs. We cannot move. We cannot speak with you. You can't leave the house? No. They told you that? Yes. I can't breathe. You How can't... long are they going to stay? I don't know. Are they paying you any money? <laughs> you are kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Abdul Nasif, the bank manager, said he had to get to his bank to open the safe, but that soldiers won't let him go. He told us when the soldiers come, they wake everybody up and herd them into a kitchen for hours while soldiers sleep in their bedrooms. They can't leave or use the phone or let us in. He sent us downstairs to see if his brother would open the door so we could ask the soldiers why they keep taking over this house. You want to come? Yes. Uh, Just open the door and then... The soldiers close the door from the keys. They, t they take the keys. So we left, and that night, so did the soldiers. But when we returned two days later, the soldiers were back for more surveillance. This time, they kept the women under house arrest, but let the men go to work and the children go to school. When the children returned, we caught a glimpse of two armed soldiers at the top of the stairs. Then more children came home, but the soldiers wouldn't open the door again. They say if you don't go back uh, uh, behind the wall, the children uh, will not uh, enter the house. So they, they want the journalists to go away, otherwise they won't let children who live in this house to go inside the house. Only democracy in the Middle East. This is where the children live. Yeah, but you need to go away from the door so I can let the children come in, okay? Who are you? He's a commander here. He's a commander here? Yeah. yeah. Can we probably beat that child up for saying that. Talk to you? No. Well, we're talking to you now. Why don't you tell us what you're doing here? Have you lost your voice? This is why they don't let me... Well, they've closed office. the door now. They've closed the window. Only control. So I guess... Um, if the children are going to get home, we have to um, we have to leave. So that's what we'll do. An army spokesman told us the soldiers use the Nassif's house for important surveillance operations. 
The Nasifs told us the soldiers usually stay for a day or two, always coming and going in the middle of the night. When they do go, the Nasifs never know when they'll be occupied again. It could be tomorrow, next week, or next month. The only certainty, they say, is that the soldiers will be back. Without a separate Palestinian state, the Israelis would have three options, none of them good. They could try ethnic cleansing, drive the Palestinians out of the West Bank. Wow. They could give the Palestinians the vote. That would be the democratic option, but it would mean the end of the Jewish state. Or they could inflict apartheid, have the minority Israelis rule the majority Palestinians. But apartheid regimes don't have a very long life. Unfortunately, and uh, I have to say to you that apartheid is already in place. Apartheid is already in place. Absolutely. My God, think about how uninformed these people are. That was 2009, by the way. Still, to this very day, they still dispute that, despite all the leading human rights groups in the world, including the Israeli Betselem group, telling you that it's an apartheid state. The point is, that's why they don't let this happen anymore. I mean, even Abby, I mean, Eva Bartlett lived in Gaza for, for years, a long, a while back. But they won't let her back in now. Same with Abby Martin. They know that people will cover this and will show you what's really going on. And this is the most important point here to this segment. As Cohen points out, Americans would be totally fine if soldiers of an occupying force would take over their homes, let the men go to work, but keep the women as soldiers slept in their homes. American men would totally just accept that. But only brute savages like Palestinians might get angry and resist. It just begins to show you this absurdity, the way that they frame this as being just this one negative thing, this one bad guy group that they're forced to keep in a cage and it's their fault. What they do to them is unprecedented. Because of how, I mean, I mean that in the sense of what's now happening, this long-term concept, 75 years of brutal occupation, Nakba, from one to the next, really, but this now being the next huge example of ethnic cleansing. As I said, when this first started, and I meant it, What's happening right now against Gaza will be remembered for a thousand years. This is one of those moments that will be remembered. Like massive wars. This is horrifying. And this is what they've been forced to live through, even in places outside of Gaza. And you wonder why they're upset. But here is what the Americans hear. As Glenn Greenwald points out, there's no politician on earth who has called for more wars, more bombing campaigns, more slaughter of people in the countries other than Lindsey Graham. There's not a single U.S. war, actual or proposed, he hasn't cheered. He's the least credible to deem who is the most radicalized. There's no limit to what Israel can do to take out Hamas, but is the administration right that Israel needs to do more to protect civilians in Gaza? What a dumb well, I think Israel is committed to following the law of armed conflict. I mean, how can you even make a stupid statement like that? When, when you know that they're targeting UN locations, when, when international human rights groups have called them out for targeting civilians, you know that they're like, that's complicity right there. You're ignoring what the world can see and acting like that's within international law. Now, even if, what do you think that shows, uh, like look in your narrative, that there's, different factions of evil boogeyman bad guy around the world that might be acting with bioweapons and whatever else, which frankly, I, I think we're looking at them. But the point is, if that's your narrative, aren't you right now demonstrating to them that this doesn't matter, that they can act in whatever way they want and there are all no rules? One thing I want to say for sure is Israel's not engaged in genocide. And another thing we need to deal with is the whitewashing of the status of people in Gaza. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would love to be free from uh, 
Hamas, but the most radicalized people on the planet live in the Gaza Strip. They've been taught since birth uh, to kill and hate the Jews. How do you teach math in Gaza? If you had 10 Jews and you kill six, how many would be left? I mean, think about how dumb that is. This is a guy who believed people listened to him. The only people that go along with that are people that are also along with this narrative. That's just blatant, dumb, lowbrow, lowest common denominator BS. Now, first of all, also, or second of all, let's realize he just immediately skipped over. Yeah, there's probably some that don't want to be under Hamas. But then it goes on to say Gazans. So Palestinians are trained to hate Jews. That's not true. I don't even think Israel's saying that. They're claiming Hamas does that to Palestinians while they claim they want to save all the innocent Palestinians. But here is a U.S. politician conflating all Palestinians as Jew-hating murderers. I just don't understand how these people are even in these positions. I think that's the point. I think they're aware of how much they're losing control over their own power. We all see him. That's been in their school system. So I'm all for providing humanitarian aid in a fashion that doesn't help Hamas. I'm all for Israel having the time and space to destroy Hamas. I'm all for a new governing regime over the Palestinian people when this is over. And I'm all for Israel. Well, of course, because we don't want them to have their own state. We just want to rule over these people for the rest of their lives. You know, we want to talk about the whitewashing of the story, right? We're just going to rule over them forever. Well, in Saudi Arabia reconciling, that's sort of where I'm at. But no pause? No humanitarian pause? God, that's so stupid. I, I don't want to take the pressure off Hamas militarily, but if Israel can find a way to help the humanitarian situation, yes, I'd like to do it. But Oh, well, if they can fit it into their schedule, you know, might as well take time to do what we can. Well, if we got the time, maybe we won't starve them to death. Maybe we won't bomb the hospitals if we've got the time, though, right? My God, man. I mean, I'm just, I mean, really blown away. I think whoever I read this said this earlier, like even myself, like I'm aware of how grotesque and hypocritical these people are. And even I am constantly like floored by this. These are, this is what they really are. Let's not forget that. Oh, for, I was joking when I said whitewashing. I was making fun of the way he said that. Although whitewashing, like some Southern, it's just, he's, God, he's just such a, this, this is the guy that we, is every problem of everything. Th these are the people, these classic, these, I mean, it doesn't, the point is all of these kind of people in governmental positions that are allowing this to happen, which apparently is all of them, 92 to zero, vetoing every ceasefire that want this to continue. And it's grotesque. It's horrifying. And as Kim Iverson adds, Israel is not trying to convert Palestinians or assimilate them so that they can integrate them into live in peace together. There is no option to change religions and learn a new language for Palestinians, and not to suggest they should even have to do that. Just simply pointing out that even if they wanted to, they couldn't. They were, bo they were born into the wrong ethnic group in the wrong part of the world. Their daily lives are under Israel's control, either through occupation, blockade, or bombardment. They do not live in a merit-based society. The moment there's a glimmer of prosperity, Israel mows the lawn. By shutting down their universities for years, depriving them of education, by blocking their businesses from receiving necessary imports, by refusing permits to build critical infrastructure, by bulldozing UN-permitted structures that are within supposed Palestinian-controlled territory, by imposing, without charges, 50% of the population leaving families struggling by cutting off their water and electricity to keep them dirty. And worst of all, by carpet bombing them, killing truth-telling journalists and wiping out entire families. 
Had they been born anywhere else in the world, they would have been given the opportunity to earn a living and build a prosperous life. Well, I mean, I wouldn't completely agree with that, but the point is that any situation where this is happening, it's not just in Palestine. There are other places where people are being treated like this. Point, though, is that if they were born in any Western area where we pretend is that that's the way the world works, or rather anybody else was doing this outside of Israel, in most cases, this would have already been called out. She says, but under Israel's iron fist and quest to build a nation that does not include them, racist, apartheid, they are robbed of this basic human from fundamental desire, freedom to exist and freedom to thrive. Rohan Talbot makes a really great point here. Now, this is not as simple as this. Again, it's simplification, but I think it's an, an apt point. The asymmetry of this conflict, like the inequality of the whole thing. He says, you will never see a better illustration of this than right here. Jerusalem Post on November 5th. How to use the stress from the Israel-Hamas war to lose weight. On the other side, starvation as a weapon of war being used against Gaza civilians. Right. So, And it's Oxfam, by the way. So as they're being collectively punished, many people literally starving to death. They're going, here's how to lose some little extra weight by using the stress from our ongoing genocide against civilians and children. This is the equivalent of sitting on that hillside eating popcorn as they murder Palestinians and a couple of fringe rockets that maybe hit an open field or maybe cause a little building damage. It at worst, end up, I mean, the point is, I shouldn't minimize the fact that any of those could kill somebody. But the bottom line is... It's almost, it revolts me to try to make an equivalency between these aimless bottle rockets that are barely effectively hurting anybody. And I'm not even, I, I can admit that there's other things they might be able to use, but right now that's what's happening. And as I just reported from the Associated Press, it's minimal, if anything, stress and minimal damage if not hitting an open field versus 4,000 children, 10,000 Palestinians, and it continues. I ju it just, it makes, it pains me to try to even acknowledge and engage with that kind of stupidity. And just in case we forget that this is not a new thing, I've shown you this before. As this person points out, Israel's the, and well, I, I should use the other one. The person said they, they will never forget for the rest of their life what you're looking at right now. But you have to realize these are people while being beat with batons maintaining Shireen Abu Akhle's funeral procession. Do you see them fighting back? Do you see them even throwing anything? No. These are people that are trying, and, and they, look, they almost dropped it. This is disgusting. Disgusting display of exactly what you think it is. Israel covered up the murder of this U.S. journalist with U.S. help, Shireen Abu Akhle. And as they were carrying her funeral coffin, her coffin, they just beat them. I mean, it's not hard to see. And they just, they just took it. First of all, what are they going to do? Secondly, because this is such an important thing. This is a moment of reverence for her. And all they want to do is make them drop it. Who do you think gave them that order? Look at what they're doing. There's no way to misunderstand what this is. And this is what they live through every single day. Now, that doesn't mean there's not people that, that there's Palestinians that break the law. That they then take out and shoot and whatever else. But this is the average person. 
And if you wonder why they might maybe feel like they can support what happened, even with civilians being killed, if you can't understand, I'm not saying condone, I will never condone the targeting of civilians, but if you can't stand back and go, well, gee, I at least understand why they might be okay with that, then you're lying to yourself. Because this is a one-sided, 75-year ongoing illegal occupation of people that have been put through the worst things you can imagine and then called terrorists. What do you think that's going to do? What do you think that's designed to do? It's horrifying. And all I hope is that people can start to see this. New people. I know we're winning this information war. People see it. I'm relentless with it right now because we need to go further. We need to make sure people are never again afraid to say what they think is actually happening, even if that's supposed to be insensitive. or The point is, you have a right to consider this stuff. I'm not saying be insensitive just because, but the truth outweighs sensitivities. You know, as you know, somebody once said, the facts don't care about your feelings. It's funny how that very person is completely lost in his own feelings about this topic. Ben Shapiro. The point is, we can see what's happening, and so can he. So can anybody with a soul and everybody's hiding from this topic. All I want to do is save people, help people. It just makes me, breaks my heart, man. Every time I watch these topics and put all this together, how much they're suffering. And it makes me almost feel guilty doing, going out about my day. I just, and it's, I'm, it's not really rational. I mean, it's not my fault this is happening. It's not your fault this is happening. It may not be. But I think it speaks to something larger that inherently, and maybe this is just my perspective that, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm very aggressively against government and, and, and against the actions of these governments. But even as I was growing up, you know, I didn't know what I was supporting. Most of us don't. And that in and of itself helped this ongoing problem that's been going on my entire life. So there's a part of me that does ultimately feel like there is something that we owe what's going on here or to the people or at least the world to help stop this. That's just my personal opinion. You guys can decide for yourself whether you should even care about this, but I hope your humanity dictates that you should. I hope that you will continue supporting people that do care about this and remember who took an honorable integrity-based stance when this started and continue to. Now, if you want to support this platform or, or others for that matter, make sure you do find the independent media that you feel you can believe in, not trust, because that would be stupid. You shouldn't trust anybody in corporate media or the government. You should always question them. But people you can believe in, that you believe truly care about the outcome and care about how we got there and care about being objective. I mean, there's there's a lot of them out there. I really believe that. If you'd like to support this platform, because I believe we're one of them, our donation platform on the website, you can check out $1 a month on recurring. You'll never think about it again. It will go a long way to help this platform grow. And I, and I see it every day. I thank you all for continuing to support what we're doing. We have our sub stack where you can sign up. We have our weekly breakdowns. We have our information coming out. You can sign up there. You can sign up for our autonomy program. All the links are down below or any number of other things we have. There's a lot of ways to support us, guys. Most important being sharing the content and getting this out to people. So thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.